does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Well, here's the thing. I, I guess since the music played for just a little bit there, you could say it's a slow start. So I'm the Joe Burrow of the show today, right? <laughs> How's your calf? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I actually, uh, thanks for asking. I, I have a cow. I have a stuffed cow, not a calf. Nice. When I was, uh, I guess, an infant, I got a stuffed cow, simply known as cow, that I still have to this day. Do you find that odd? No. What if it sits in my bed? You find that odd? I mean, I don't still know. Okay, good. I appreciate that. Right. Uh, good afternoon to you on today's what Tuesday, Eddie? Is that right? Yes, sir. It is on a Tuesday. This is Query and Company here on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. My name is Jake Query. Jimmy Cook is here, the president of the company, and Eddie Garrison, the CEO, who is kind of. Eddie, you to the CEO are kind of like George Costanza as the assistant to the <laughs> traveling secretary, right? Like you, you seem to, on certain days as the CEO, you are all over it. And on other days, you're like, yeah, I'm mailed in. I'm going to go get some microwave popcorn. Depends right. which Yankees are coming in. That uh-huh. That's uh-huh, right. Sure. Or, or the, uh, whether or not you've got a meeting with the boys from the Astros, right? <laughs> uh, did you guys watch last night, Monday Night Football? Which, I guess the first question, Eddie, we will begin with you. Which game did you watch? I'm assuming you watched one of the two, or at least we're flipping through the channels. Which one did you land on more than the other? Uh, so I started watching the first game between the Bucks and the Eagles, and then uh, with Olivia, my girlfriend, being a Joe Burrow slash Bengals fan, as soon as that game started... That was where. And how did she become a Bengals slash Joe Burrow fan? Uh, so she liked Joe Burrow when he was in college at LSU, most notably. Um, and then once he got drafted, like obviously she, to she liked him or she liked him. Yes, to both of your questions there. Okay. Well, yeah. So, so you don't like Joe Burrow? Huh? You don't like Joe Burrow? I do. I'm fine with Joe Burrow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. But uh, yeah. So once <laughs> the Bengals game started, would then... you be nervous if she met Joe Burrow? No. You're you're confident in your abilities there, or like you're you're just you wouldn't be jealous if you. Well, Jake, come on, you know me. Come on now, <laughs> Would, you, you wouldn't be jealous at all. Jealous? No. Okay, that's cool. I no. can appreciate that. No, I mean, hey, if he's interested, by all means. <laughs> no, really? He, he's a wow. He's a millionaire. Eddie saw the contract. Hey, it's said. a it's a part of the hall pass. Okay, <laughs> For, who's your hall pass? Oh boy, I don't know. That's the problem. Well, Eddie, you're not much of a negotiator here. If she has the hall pass of Joe Burrow, then you've got to, you know, turnabout's fair play. You've got to. That's very true. Who would you request as your hall pass? That's a good question. See, she always asks, and I always give her a different name. Okay, so what was the last one you gave her? Uh, Selena Gomez. Okay, fair. How about Vanessa Marcel? Do you know who she is? No. Uh, How about Selma Hayek? Yes. I know who she is. <laughs> I bet you do. Jimmy, which game did you watch last night of the two? Uh, primarily Bengals-Rams, but the way that's set up, the Eagles and Buccaneers did get some of my attention in the early goings before Bengals-Rams started. I just thought for whatever reason, and I don't know why this exactly is, I think maybe it's the – this sounds ridiculous. Maybe it's just like the overall – although I don't – the Bengals uniforms, I'm not a real fan of the like whiteout uniforms, but – the Rams colors, it just that game looked vibrant. Like the the Eagles Bucks is just like, ugh. 
Like the matchup itself, there's you know what I mean. I know the Eagles are are kind of a high flying team now, but like you needed the creamsicle jerseys, just, I think. Yeah, they're just, that might have spiced it up a little bit. Yeah, for you. Uh, Bucko Bruce is cool, right? That was the first thing I said to Olivia last night when the game came on. I said this is a visually pleasing game between the Bengals and the Rams. Correct. The white and the blue. Correct. Perfect. Uh, correct. And then the the like, here's what I've always felt about the NFC East. Eagles. Giants, Cowboys, Commanders, right? Yep. Any of those games, and this probably is a generational thing. Maybe I'm just talking about from watching from like 1978 to 1995. Maybe I'm thinking primarily of that. And I only say those that window because that's back when you know you literally did watch whatever games the network put on. But whenever I think of those teams, I can't be the only one that thinks this. There are two things about football that I th- that in my mind you automatically revert back sometimes nostalgically speaking. I do that probably more than anybody. But the NFC East seemingly was always the second game. So they were depressing anyway because you knew the weekend was coming to a close and then the ultimate depression of the intro to 60 minutes when you hear the the yes, sorry. When, when you hear that you, you hear the the Best I can stopwatch. Do. Sure. You automatically know that like, oh my gosh, like I've got to get ready to do my homework and then school tomorrow. Ugh. But when I think of the NFC East teams, I think of the precursor to that, which is all of those teams playing, and it's always it was it was in one of those stadiums. I would put the Patriots in this category as well. And they, it was invariably thirty eight degrees, raining, and total depression. <laughs> like it, it, as far as I'm concerned, the to my knowledge, the New York Giants. The New York Jets and the Philadelphia Eagles have never played a game in sunshine at home. It's always <laughs> it's always just dark and dingy and rainy and gross and depressing. And that's kind of what just whenever I see the team, that's what my mind goes to. And it just visually, not like the Rams, it, it just visually, like, I don't know. So it, I'm it's, weird. it's your version of seasonal depression then. Yes, is, it's a team-based depression, I guess. Which, is, which makes no sense, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> it makes no sense because, and, and everything about me, admittedly, I'm a walking contradiction. I know that. But where it makes no sense is the team that, when I was a kid that I that I still nostalgically see and it, and it reminds me nostalgically of like this bliss is the Seattle Seahawks. Now they were playing indoors in the Kingdom back in those days, but Seattle, I mean, they turn someone turns off the sunshine in Seattle coming up here in like three weeks and you don't see it again until April. Now it's the most beautiful city in the country, May, June, July, and August, and, and, and part of September. So it makes no sense my rationale here, but for whatever reason, the Eagles Bucks, I just that matchup to me was just kind of, uh. but then the performance as well. I mean Baker Mayfield, who, who has gotten out at times to decent starts this year, but last night was not one. Of them. The biggest problem I had with that matchup is the Eagles are still an explosive offensive team, but they're still also riding some of that high from last year's run to the Super Bowl. And you look at the Bucks and you think, well, Baker's been okay, but like the Bucks are past the championship window that they had when Tom Brady was there. So all you're rooting for, if you're just 
high-powered offensive fan is I want the Eagles to put up like 30 in the first half. And then you don't get that. You get kind of an ugly right. type of start. And, and it's a, like, okay, I want to go over to Bengals-Rams now because this game is kind of a snooze fest. And then you go to Bengals-Rams and you get 6-6 six, six at half. I, the Bengals-Rams, <laughs> I mean, that those two, I mean, it took – Burrow clearly has some limitation right now, right? Yes. A great player, no doubt about it. Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, great weapons for him. But it just, it was, and we've all had that. The Colts have had games like that. Whatever your favorite team may be, Jimmy, in your case, the Kansas City Chiefs or Notre Dame football. Indeed. Um, you know, or, or the Colts, or, you know, in my case, Clemson. Like, when they have teams that are offensive juggernauts, there are always games where you're, like, midway through the third and you're like, what is going on here? Like, well, surely, okay, now this is now's the drive. that They just, the, the floodgates are going to open out, and it just doesn't happen. And, and that probably is how I would think. But for Cincinnati, you know, last night was a big game just because you start out, you know, you got you to get in the win column, but Burrow – you know, we'll see what happens. But a lot to talk about today, including, of course, the Colts will be the topic of conversation for the majority of the program. Stephen Holder will join us on the show today. Thank goodness from for Jamar ESPN. Chase, by the way. .com. If you're a Bengals fan, thank, I mean, we've always been thankful for Jamar Chase, but nearly has, I didn't realize this, the record for Monday Night Football receptions, at least from Scott Van Pelt's Sports Center, is 14. So he has 12 catches, 141 yards. Still didn't find the end zone, but I mean, that's that pairing is one of the most talked about pairings in the National Football League for a reason. And that as much credit as Joe Burrow gutting it out, so too does Jamar Chase for keeping that offense Here's alive and well. Is probably not a, a massively relevant topic to Indianapolis Sports Talk Radio, except for that it can relate to make it relatable to the Colts themselves. Is it possible that the Colts have a number two wide receiver that they're playing as their number one? Yes. And the Bengals have a number one wide receiver that they're playing as their number two? Yes. Or is T. Higgins a legitimate number two, and if it were not for Jamar Chase, he would he would struggle as a number one? I think that that offense would still, with a healthy Joe Burrow, not what he is right now, I think they would still flourish if it was a Tyler Boyd-T. Higgins combination, but maybe not as much as they would, obviously, with Chase, because he's a high-level guy. If T. Higgins came here, does he become the number one and Pittman slides to two, or is Pittman your primary and T. Higgins stays as the number two guy? I think he's a low-end Number one, meaning I'm not putting him. I'm thinking of like five, six, seven other names of like top wide receivers around the league before I label T. Higgins. But yes, I think he could pass Michael Pittman. Like Alvin Harper. Alvin Harper is a good example. And then I'm trying to think, was it Brett Perriman that was the secondary receiver to Herman Moore in Detroit? And both those guys like got signed elsewhere, and then it was like like Alvin Harper went to the Bucks because he had played alongside Michael Irvin. It was like this guy could be a number one, and then he went to the Bucks. I think it was, and literally couldn't play dead. I mean, it was like what happened to this guy? And, and so you do get that from time to sure. time, and that that. So I think oftentimes wide receivers, Jimmy, get sometimes evaluated based not on the situation where they are, but on the perception of what their situation would be elsewhere. And I think to an extent, Michael Pittman's in that group. Like we think to ourselves, Michael Pittman is a number two wide receiver because if he went somewhere else, he'd be the the over the middle secondary piece. But we don't know that. Here, he is a number one, right? 
And who knows what would happen if he went elsewhere. And furthermore, who knows what happens if you bring somebody else's guy that appears to be a number two and you think that, that, that now he vaults. You just don't know based on who's around him and the different offensive schemes. The other way of wide receiver evaluation or a way the Colts could acquire a so-called number one wide receiver aside from free agency, is when you see a player that is either disgruntled at his current destination or perhaps his contract is about to be up and the teams don't want to pay him, a la A.J. Brown a couple of years ago. Like There are other ways to go poach a number one wide receiver around the league outside of the draft and free agency. The problem is, though, it is, to your point, very much a guessing game when you do it in free agency for a guy that's not a wide receiver one, like Diggs, Brown, like the last two big Tyreek Hill, the last three big significant wide receiver trades, those were all well-defined wide receiver ones already in their current position versus with T. Higgins, he's not that where he's labeled. He is pigeonholed in as a wide receiver too. So you're banking on with a promotion in terms of snaps, in terms of responsibility, in terms of his title, you're banking on him ascending to a role of wide receiver one if the Colts were to say go out and get him next offseason. Okay, another question for you then at the running back position. A running back one, running back two, etc. Right? Sure. I always just say starter, secondary guy, whatever. We are theoretically two weeks away. Colts hosting the Los Angeles Rams coming up on Sunday, right? Yep. Final game where Twiggy's out. Indeed. Right? They're going to go up to the Boone County Fairgrounds. They're going to get Twiggy off his little skis right there out of the pool, and they're going to say, okay, you're, you're off the pup list. For those that, that are new to the program, <laughs> where have you been? Um, Twiggy is our nickname for the Colts running back out of Wisconsin, number 28, whose name we have said so often that we decided to rename him Twiggy, who is the water skiing squirrel that we – you and I both were able to meet and hold, mind you. Yep. Um, because Twiggy, when we were holding the water skiing squirrel, when we were up there at the, the Hardwood Festival, like you're sitting there and you're holding him, and then he, he got and he was cute and adorable, and everybody loved him. And then after a few minutes, he got a little squirrely, quite frankly. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know he's fidgety, and he's and you can tell he's unhappy. I felt like a mob and, boss from Tennessee, by the way. I don't know if you got that same vibe. We were sitting there in the chair, and I'm just petting Twiggy. Of course, I felt, I felt very. That was the best thing about it, right? Yes. But yep. you knew. Even though everybody's looking at him and, and seemingly everything looked perfect, deep down you could tell that Twiggy was not happy. And Twiggy was very uncomfortable and was probably wanting out and felt like there the was somewhere that better to be. <laughs> Correct. All the mistreatment so, so, of other So that's exactly like, like Twiggy, <laughs> the the football player, same thing, right? Cute, adorable, everybody loves him. Missed marketing opportunity by Twiggy's reps if he's not in a little tiny 28 jersey That is uh, that by the time awesome. Jonathan Taylor, if he plays again. Maybe big time. But if who plays again? If Twiggy's able Thank to play again. Um, but that's going to be theoretically the case a week after the Colts host the Los Angeles Rams. So the question is, how do you divvy up? Because I'll tell you what, and I know they're different players. I totally get it. You know, there have been running backs in the past. I think it was Tiki Barber and Ron Dane that were thunder and lightning. You know, Zach Moss is a is a – he runs hard. Between the tackles, runs hard, you know, takes a hit. He's not a he is not a home run hitter, but he's a really good base hitter. Now I don't know that Jonathan Taylor Jonathan Taylor clearly has the ability. Zach Moss is able to create 
holes, basically, right? Kind of burst through them. Jonathan Taylor, when I say, I mean break through them. Jonathan Taylor has the ability, obviously, that he doesn't, all he needs is a, a, a glimpse of light and his quickness gets him through it. But but it still doesn't, even though he has the ability to do it, Taylor does not feel like a between the tackles every down back. I, I know that he has that capability, obviously. But do you just hand things over, 20 carries, to Twiggy when he comes back? Or do you divvy it up a little bit and go with kind of the thunder and lightning, like almost two-back backfield? In today's NFL, how absurd does that sound? Or do the Colts say, you know what? We're going to stick with kind of what we have here and and play hardball even further. If, Which way do you approach it? If Jonathan Taylor, sorry, if Twiggy. That's right. If Twiggy is healthy, if Twiggy gets cleared off of the pop. Which I think. Which we think is where things are trending. Correct. You feed him the rock. Like, I, I view Zach Moss at that point as a change of pace back. I, I, I'm i throwing the keys Which I think is probably the, the best way to say it, right? Yeah, I, I, I'm throwing the key. That's not taking away anything from Zach Moss. It is mainly talking about no matter how much you might be frustrated with Twiggy, no matter how much you might be annoyed with Twiggy or the Colts or whichever side you fall on, when healthy, he is one of, if not the best running back in the National Football League. I'm giving him the keys. I'm letting it ride. And also... I want to be able to see, even though if he comes back and he plays, we're still not going to have an official answer of what the future holds for him. Are they letting him play for three or four weeks so that they can get a better trade value assessment from other teams? Are they letting him play because he wants to go out there and prove it and he's decided, okay, I'm going to work hard and then you're ultimately going to tag me, but in my head I think maybe you'll actually give me a contract. We don't know what the relationship status is going to be, but regardless... The whole reason that there was ample calls for him to be back a part of this team was for the development of Anthony Richardson. And not to say that Zach Moss cannot help that, but it's ludicrous to think that Jonathan Taylor wouldn't help that further because the back he is. And also, oh, by the way, everybody getting really excited after the draft. Why? Because the idea of being able to put Anthony Richardson and Jonathan Taylor as a threat to run the ball at any moment in a given set offensive package that's what excites fans i'm sure that's what excites shane steichen and the coaching staff the idea of being able to implement those two together so if he's good to go give him the keys let's roll i have a mental hurdle with zach moss's name for what that's worth elaborate please well i almost feel like we need a nickname for him because i'm gonna say for whatever reason zach like every time i say zach moss i i keep thinking wait a minute am i saying his name am i getting his name mixed up do you think, think that Randy should precede the Moss? Is that the is that the issue it's called? No, okay. it's well twofold. Former Colt Zephros Moss keeps coming to mind. Every time I hear Z Moss, I think of Zephros Moss, the former lineman. And then I think of Zach Morris. And, and so every time I say his name, I'm like, <laughs> wait a minute, it's it, it's not Zach or it's not Mo-. like one of those two I'm saying wrong. It's not Zach and it's not Moss, but it is Zach Moss, I realize. Can you tell me his college? What percent of Colts fans, if I I'm, walked through Lucas Oil Stadium Sunday and I stopped 100 Colts fans and I said, we're going to play guess the college, what percent out of the 100 people wearing a Colts jersey could tell me the college of Zach Moss? Seven? Seven percent? Yeah. I doubt it. Think it's more? Less. All right. Well, I was trying to be Eddie, nice, do you know though. the answer? I Without do. looking it up? I do. do you I'm, know terrible. Answer, I'm terrible with that. I mean, you've seen yes. my trivia. I'm terrible. I don't know. Uh Colorado. No idea. Same conference. 
Yeah. Pac-12? Same conference. And I think maybe the, even Colorado's next opponent, maybe, or, or no. soon, right? They're soon, yeah. But that next opponent, Colorado plays USC next. UCLA. Uh, also a good guess. How about this? Uh, they're one of the top teams in the rankings and right an now. And an underrated Pac-12 team. And the fact that you don't think of them necessarily yep. in top of mind as a football power, but in the last 15 years, they have been a football power. Stanford? They nope. have uh, The Colts have a player from this college in their secondary. How about this, Jimmy Cook? It is the only university to have the number one overall selection in the NFL and NBA drafts in the same year. Has that happened in my lifetime? Yes. Hmm. And neither one, though, was like an overpowering number one pick. Both of them, I will say this, both of them, both of the number one overall picks from this university had really good careers, but because they resurrected themselves at the second stop of their career, not necessarily with the team that drafted them number one overall, one of which played for your franchise in the NFL, the quarterback. Washington? <laughs> if I, I will tell you this. If this player said to you... This is fun. So you have a great trivia question that you have to answer, Jimmy? And he said, yeah. And he said to you, break a leg. He probably wouldn't say that to you because that would be oh. way too close to home. Eddie, you want to give up the ghost here? Arizona, I have no idea. Arizona State. I'm just naming back to old schools now. Utah. Yeah, it would have taken a long time to get there. The University of Utah for Zach Moss. Seven percent. I agree with you. Probably would know that, right? Seven percent. Speaking of college, I have a question about college football today that I want to get to as well, because I, I've got a feeling. I'm here's a real weakness of mine. A lot of times I do. What's the word I'm looking for? Like off the top of my head, like gut reaction radio sometimes i used to do it more than i do now i try to be more thoughtful now but every once in a while i will come up with something that like i observe something and i point it out and then people are like you are a total jerk you're out of your mind you are grasping at straws and i go okay maybe i am but i have a feeling i'm going to be proven right over the course of time and then sometimes it takes a month sometimes it takes six months sometimes it takes never or sometimes it takes a year or two and then people are like, you know what, I think you might have been right. And I have something that I think is brewing in terms of just the winds of the football field that is going across central Indiana right now that is something that I had mentioned a few years ago and I got absolutely killed for it. And I was like, I get it. Maybe I was wrong. At the time, I was like, maybe I'm wrong. But in the back of my mind, I thought, but I'll bet in time I'm going to be proven right. And it seems as though, and this is not, believe you me, there's plenty of precedent on on this show of like, I'm going to prove why I'm right radio. And it gets real boorish, real old, real fast. I get that. But I do find it interesting because it is a topic that I think is kind of one of those that, do you ever have something, Jimmy, that you sit around with your buddies and finally one of your buddies while you're having beers goes 
hey, I wanted to, to, to throw something out there. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm glad somebody else said it. I, 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 yeah, thought, I, I thought I was the only one, yes. right? Yeah. I have something in terms of college football in Indiana that I have a feeling, it's not even I'm glad someone said it. Are you Michigan? But I'm curious. Indiana is going to stun <laughs> college football on October 14th when they go to Michigan. You know that, right? How'd you know that? I, I listen to the show. I'm part of the company. They're, they're, that's right. They are going to stun the Wolverines in the college football world. But no, I want to I want to get to that uh, something in, in terms of college football that has been weighing on my mind and partially because I want to say that I, I told you so and partially because I just find it fascinating. More so because I told you so, right? Um, we'll get to that. But on the other side, we will get you caught up on the Colts in terms of today. Getting set for Stephen Holder, who's going to join us at 2 o'clock. But the injury report in terms of where the Colts now and coming off of the game against Baltimore, getting set for the Rams, we'll get you caught up on all of that and continue to discuss, as I mentioned, the college football topic as well. It is a Tuesday. My mom has a big announcement for you. We'll do that in just a little bit. I'm, I'm throwing way too many things out there. On this Tuesday edition of Query and Company here, 93.5-1075, The Fan. So the Colts coming off their game against the Baltimore Ravens back to the practice field, and the big question, obviously, is going to be, Jimmy, twofold. Number one, what happens in terms of when Jonathan Taylor comes off pup? We kind of address that, you know, what you do there. I agree with you that if he is cleared, which I think he will be, and – you know, and he's willing to do so, which that remains a big question. Uh, you got to put him out there, right? Because he's too big a weapon. Yeah. Um, and, and what that means in terms of his long-term desire to be, you know, th- that'll be a long, continuous process that will be examined. But then the other thing, obviously, is the quarterback position with Anthony Richardson. Uh, Jimmy, I think you agree with me on this. Um, the second he's cleared, he is back. Now, there is – Obviously, a lot of discussion about whether or not you continue to ride Gardner Minshew. I I don't think the Colts have any interest in doing that. Anthony Richardson's able to play. Anthony Richardson's going to play. Your thoughts? I can't take the lost, misguided viewpoint from some fans that sit there and think, well, I mean, look, we're first in the AFC South right now, three weeks in. It's got to be Gardner Minshew. I mean, look what he just did for us last week. We got to ride from the rest of the way. I know that the fan base is hungry to get back to maybe not even where they were in the Locker Manning era, but like get back to relevance. I totally get that. Gardner Minshew is a stopgap. It'll make you feel good for a little bit, and then either you'll wherever this season ends. If it was just Minshew, if they decide, you know what, Richardson's not ready, we want. Gardner Minshew to lead us the rest of the way. Don't know why we didn't do that at the start, but hey, you know what? Now that Richardson got hurt twice and missed one game, it's Minshew's team now. Let's say that happened. And let's say that the South is not what we thought it was, which is the Jaguars' kingdom to rule. It is up for grabs like it's been every year for the last four or five years. All right, great. Colts win the South. They are going to play in that scenario. Let's say they win it by going 10-7. and They're going to play either the Ravens, the Bengals, the Steelers, the Dolphins, or the Bills at home. I don't see that ending well. I said that yesterday. I think all those teams are better teams than the Colts. Even if they did, I don't see them getting past Kansas City. I don't see them getting past, say, a Miami. There's no world where this ends in a Lombardi for them. So you're left with this temporary feeling of one good season 
and then an early playoff exit, and then, oh, wait, we have this rookie quarterback that we still don't know what he is because he only had 13 starts, now 15 starts total in his football playing career. That is not the mission for this year. If winning happens along the way with Anthony Richardson and you still make the playoffs, I don't have a problem with that. But this year is about Anthony Richardson and his development and finding out what you have. If you want to punt and kick the can down another season, look no further than what happened or what is happening in Chicago right now. And they didn't punt with Justin Fields. They let him have it very early on, and they still don't know who they are. Now, I get the oh, Bears are kind I of a bad... They have a, I mean, they know... They have they a better know, idea, right? They, let me, they, they didn't get to where they thought they were going to be. This is not about punting another year or if that was the goal, you don't draft Richardson when you did and you put another Band-Aid on this roster. The goal of this year is Anthony Richardson's development, and if winning happens to happen along the way, then you celebrate it and you enjoy it. That's how I feel about the Gardner Minshew conversation, and I don't have, not you, but Colts fans, I'll gladly stand on that podium and say it more, but I don't have time if your end result is, man, but Minshew led us to victory yesterday in Baltimore. We don't like the Ravens, so we're happy with him. Jimmy, would you rather be, what's your favorite subject in school? English or social studies, but yeah, I enjoyed recess, but English or social studies. Okay, we'll go with English. If you were going to be an English teacher, would you rather teach it to college freshmen or sixth graders? Ooh. The reason I ask is because it's a different approach. When a paper is written by a college freshman, you're pretty candid and pretty blunt, right? Because at that point, you are under the understanding that they have gone through enough education that it's now time for them to learn where they were wrong about things with a direct approach. Whereas a sixth grader, your critique of that paper is much more encouraging and delicate because the psyche and the security or the identity of a sixth grader is still much more fragile than it is for somebody who's 19 years old. At 19, you're under the expectation that they have already gone through a maturation process where now it's about rounding that out. And a sixth grader, you're going to, you're going to teach in a much more delicate form. A rookie quarterback is a sixth grader. You have to be much more nuanced in the way that you are coaching, encouraging, and teaching them than a guy that's been in the league for nine years. Because a guy that's been in the league for nine years, you are under the assumption that they've already gone through enough growing pains and learning in the NFL that by then, they're an old dog that you're not going to teach new tricks. You're just going to say, hey, look, man, you screwed that up. And the reason I say that is because the Colts have to approach this year with every single lesson plan they're going through with the nuanced nature of making sure that they are encouraging to Anthony Richardson and doing everything they can for his development as opposed to asking him to be a college freshman right away. Because when you ask people right away and you don't give them the proper tools, you end up with Justin Fields. Yes. You end up with Joey Harrington. You end up with Achilles Smith. Now, part of that's on the player for sure. But Anthony Richardson seemingly has the proper work ethic, the proper mentality, seems to have a good maturity about him. We don't know this, but but it feels that way, right? And they have a decent amount of, not great, 
but he's got some pieces around him to offer him a little bit of a blanket there. But what they can't do is just is to your point. They have to be careful with every decision that they make in terms of what they're and, and and I think one of those is if all of a sudden due to injury he misses time and then loses his starting position for it. What are you doing to his psyche? What are you doing to his development? You know every single thing that they decision they make around Anthony Richardson today is going to be different than the way that they would make decisions around him in five years. And I agree with you that right now he needs to be writing papers every day. He needs to be in a lesson plan every day. I'm not trying to hold him back a year to borrow with the analogy. I'm not trying to have him repeat sixth grade in 2024. You are correct. I, I would agree with you on that. And the, one of the one of the problems, and I've said this, and this may be totally wrong. We don't know yet whether this is totally wrong, but there is the possibility that right now Gardner Minshew gives you a better chance on a consistent basis to win games. That is entirely possible, and and I by no means in any way, shape, or form am I indicating, implying, or even stating that the Colts are trying to lose games. I don't think they are, but I think they also know that. The success of this year is short-term pleasure for lack of long-term growth. Because if you go into your point and you win the division or you back into a wild card spot and you get beat by three touchdowns in the opening game of the playoffs, then what good are you doing other than sliding back 17 spots in the draft? And to those that point out the flaw in that, like I saw that a ton on Twitter after the win against the Ravens. Like, oh, see, they're not actively trying to take... There's no team except for, you know, maybe like I would say the Cardinals, but they just beat the Cowboys this past weekend. And so it goes back to our point. And I thought no, the Cowboys were one of the top five <laughs> right, teams. Right, exactly. As did I. There's no team because of what's at stake for each individual player. There's no team that's actively tanking games that what has plagued the NBA at times has yet to fully invade the NFL sure it's been close at the back end of the season like final four or five games but week to week you're fighting for jobs you're fighting for new contracts and yes you're fighting for the off chance that you might make it to the postseason the reason I would rather see that happen with Anthony Richardson is that yes if you asked me how I would build a team it would be build around a young quarterback, and if it's clear you're not at a championship level or not at a real playoff threat level, I'd rather you be 4-13 and 13 than I'd rather you be 9-8 and eight as a wild card team. That's just my philosophy on things. But I say that to say, if that happens with Anthony Richardson as your quarterback, if it happens because of Anthony Richardson, you saw growth from him, and you happen to also make the playoffs. If it happens with Minshew... You're confused about what your rookie quarterback is, and you're doing it with a quarterback, while I really like Gardner Minshew, is not being clamored around the league to be anything but a backup quarterback as an occasional fill-in starter. Look, the NFL's Baskin-Robbins, right? 33 flavors. Oh, yeah. 32 of them in the NFL, (laughs) right? Yep. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. Mint chocolate chip, awesome. Rocky Road, awesome. Chocolate cookie dough. Or oh, man. Chocolate chip cookie dough, awesome. Well, cookies and cream. Okay. I like cookies and cream. Now, butter pecan, eh. Peppermint, eh. Vanilla, eh. There's no bad ice cream at Baskin Robbins. But you get past the the, the front five flavors, and they, they scoop you something. 
Yeah, sure, it's fine, but it's probably interchangeable with 15 different flavors. Most teams in the NFL are butter pecan. Most teams in the NFL, very few of them, you ascend to try to become mint chocolate chip or to try to become Rocky Road or Cookies and Cream, right? But the reality is there are pro- – and we don't even know who they are yet. We have a good idea. Kansas City's really good. Philadelphia is really good. We know that because we look at what they had last year and the fact that it shows that it looks like from a health standpoint there's no drop-off. Miami. Miami might be really good, but they also might be the shamrock shake. They're good because (laughs) they're new and you you haven't gotten tired of it yet. But I didn't see the 70-point performance, but I've been beating their drum as as loud as anybody. Well, they got a ton of speed. They're so fun. They they got a ton of speed, but and 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 speed kills. I don't know if it's going to translate to a Super Bowl for them, but And it's also hard to maintain a depth at that, Jimmy. They are so elite you know in terms of of the weapons that they have offensively and the separation they get in space that is so unique but it's also unrealistic to think that they're going to have all of those weapons healthy for the entire year and if if one of them goes down it's really hard to replicate with the second at that level that's the problem there right so but but I think Miami's pretty good but after that you, you just have, as I always call it, you just have that, that huge vat of like mediocrity, right? And I think realistically, and I don't mean this to be Debbie Downer, but I think realistically people know that at their best, the Colts are probably in, you know, maybe in the upper part of that, that middle area. But they're not Kansas City. They're not Philly. They're not Miami. Not now. Not yet, Right. They can get there, but I do think that people need to be patient because I think that if you get too impatient and you push in too fast too early, look what happened with Andrew Luck. With Andrew Luck, Andrew Luck in his rookie year had an unbelievable year and every ball bounced their way. And early in his tenure, the Colts had success and it was kind of fool's gold because then all of a sudden you realized, unfortunately, the roster around him wasn't good enough and you'd never had an opportunity to build depth for it. And then all of a sudden, when when everything started to, when guys started to get hurt, you didn't have any depth there because you never had a chance to accumulate it because you pushed in right away. You went out and you got Frank Gore and Andre Johnson. And you're like, we are all chips in now. And you pushed all in on it and you never organically allowed it to build. And I think that they have to be very careful. And Chris Ballard, I'll give him credit. I'll give Chris Ballard credit. He's a, he's he's a genius because of the fact, not by design, but he's the luckiest guy on the planet because of the fact that by drafting Anthony Richardson now, he has bought organically another five years because Jim Irsay knows you can't push in and get too aggressive and go for it right now. And the fan base doesn't want to hear that, and I get it and understand it, and I respect it. But I think people need to say, I'm going to get out of the Colts games. If they beat Baltimore on the road, it's awesome. But I don't necessarily expect that to happen week in and week out because I want to be patient and be able to systematically, by piece, get the best draft position that we can for the next couple of years to build organically and not make the same mistake twice to buy into a fool's gold and get too aggressive and then have the house of cards fall in front of us. And on top of that, it's easy for fans, and I get it, and we can. there's another reason why fans might jump at 
a playoff spot as a means to, well, maybe we can make some noise. And I, I want to get into that as why fans might be overexcited about it, but it's more fool's gold when we come back. Also, my mom has an important announcement. We'll get to both next. Jimmy, you ruffled the uh, apple cart. Is that what you ruffled feathers or tipped over the apple cart? Tipped I think. over the apple cart. Somebody said, "Wait a minute, please have Jimmy explain." He would rather <laughs> go four and thirteen than go to the wild card. Go ahead. The like making it to the playoffs is great. I get it, and I am torn with it being Indianapolis and the city I grew up in. Like it's great for the economy getting a playoff game. I understand all that, but the idea of just making the wild card and holding on to hope that if we just get a ticket to the dance, maybe we can make a run to the Super Bowl. Maybe we can go win it all. There have been seven teams that have made the wild card in the wild card's history, first being the 1980 Oakland Raiders, to win the Super Bowl, to win it all. There have only been 11 teams that have qualified as a wild card team that have ended up actually making it to the Super Bowl, four lose, seven win. My point is that, like, yes, it's great to squeak in, but unless you have... Your quarterback figured out, or an elite defense, or a combination of the two, you're going to be a one-and-done. And the Colts, with where they are as a franchise right now, being a one-and-done, unless it is on the heels of incredible growth and strides by Anthony Richardson, if it's done at the hands of Gardner Minshew, does nothing for the long-term growth of the franchise. I, I don't disagree with you. I, I mean, I, and I know it's a real slippery slope. Because I get it. I I get people want to see their team do the best that they can do. But I do feel like falling – and maybe – you know what, though, Jimmy? I mean, maybe they're that good. Maybe they're that good that that maybe – maybe the Colts this year are Kurt Warner taking over for Trent Green's injury. And it's like, who is this dude? And all of a sudden it's like, holy cow. Their offense is unstoppable. Maybe that's what Anthony Richardson is. Maybe his ability to carry the football, all of a sudden he becomes, you know, Patrick Mahomes lightning in a bottle out of nowhere, and, and you're glad- like, here we go. I'd gladly welcome that if it's Anthony Richardson. And, and he, correct. Exactly. I, I get it, right? If it's Gardner Minshew, yes, here's my bar. If it's Gardner Minshew, it's not going to be. But if it's Gardner Minshew the rest of the year, it's AFC Championship game at minimum. Because you're not getting the one seed, so you're playing a wild card weekend, and then you're playing in the divisional round. You win two playoff games, I was wrong. I'm dumb. That's on me. But that that, that is your bar. If you're going to waste a year of Anthony Richardson, and I don't even think this conversation is really going to matter. I think once he's healthy, it's his. They're throwing, You talk act about Twiggy getting the keys. Anthony Richardson's getting the keys back when he's ready. Like I, I don't think this is a legitimate dialogue that's happening in the Colts complex, but I think there is an undercurrent in the fan base that is like, Minshew's a little bit more proven. We're 2-1 now. Maybe we sniff around, see if we can win the South. And I'm just telling you, it doesn't it doesn't end the way that Colts I, fans want it to. I don't disagree with that. I, like I said, I mean, and again, I agree with you. I mean, if, if, if you're using – if Richardson's healthy and you are playing Minshew because you feel it gives you the best chance to win games, I disagree with that strategy. Now – if Richardson's healthy and he's playing well and all of a sudden it turns out that they are like this juggernaut offensively and they're they're off and running in the south and you let it ride. It, right? Yes. Yeah, I would agree with that. But but it also you have to hope that that's not a fool's gold is all I'm saying. Sure. And that's what happened with the Luck situation is I think Luck had success early and was such a unique talent that 
the Colts kind of fooled themselves into believing that that meant there were areas that they didn't need to shore up around him. Luck did luck did some things that didn't help himself as well, right? The the mentality of the front office, and this this didn't really happen with Luck until it was too late. The mentality of the front office, if that was to happen, Jake, they catch lightning in a bottle and they win the South and maybe they win a playoff game, but then they lose in the divisional round. If that was the end of the Colts season, but it was clear Anthony Richardson is the guy, they were right to take him. The idea cannot be fool's gold that leads to passive outlook on roster development. You need to, if anything... If that's what happens this year, if they were to legitimately make a run in the playoffs with Anthony Richardson at the helm, it should further motivate how aggressive you are in trying to build around him because you know we have the most important position in football figured out. Now it's time to build around him. Uh, hey, Jake, Jimmy makes it easy to hate the Chiefs. <laughs> Look, that from Jay. I appreciate that text. Colts fans, whether you like it or not, while you were celebrating 06 and 09 and winning the South every year, I was in the shoes and in the chair you're in right now. I get how frustrating it is. Believe me, I've given the list of quarterbacks. Quinn, Castle, Heward, Croyle, Thiggy, not Twiggy, Thiggy, Tyler Thigpen. I've dealt with it. I understand what you're going through. It's not worth it just to have one little nice plush toy at the end of the year that is a division title and then you're back where you are in mediocrity wondering what's next i have a college question and my mom has an important message for you at the top of the hour next hour number two underway here on a tuesday how are you my name is jake query jimmy cook eddie garrison here as well it is query and company on 107.5 the fan if you look outside now we are on monument circle Matter of fact, we are in the if, – if you're looking at Monument Circle from above, we are basically at 7 o'clock on the circle, right? And so you are facing to the northeast, correct, Jimmy? Yes. You can see the Riley Towers, correct? I can. Can you describe for me the atmospheric conditions to which you are looking? Looks very dark and gloomy when you start looking towards Riley Towers, but then the further in you look towards the circle, very sunny. But it looks it looks – the ominous clouds appear to be moving away. If I'm so, I'm sure that I think it was guess. Josh who got upset with my talking about the potential for rain uh, in Baltimore over the weekend and told me that the forecast was completely wrong. Uh, he'll probably get upset by this, but the forecast apparently does have for some rain in the next couple of days. Liar! Um, I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. Uh, so, so therefore, we do have uh, a little bit of breaking information here, right? Hey, Eddie? Paul, I'm the director of giddiness, and you're feeling giddy <laughs> on Quarry and Company on the fan. Okay. Uh, do we also have breaking news along with Paul? Hi, Jake. It's that time of do, year do we have the breaking again. News a little bit early, but I wanted to get this PSA out early so that everybody is careful. Um, the leaves are starting to turn, and they're falling to the ground. There is rain predicted for the next couple of days, and so I just wanted you to let your listeners know that we have to all be very careful because the rain and the wet leaves are just a lethal mix, and an accident can happen in a flash. So um, everyone be careful out there, but at the same time, please enjoy the beautiful colors of this fall. See, my mom, every year, every year, now usually it's in October, but it's breaking news today that the, that the weather is turning and the leaves are turning as well. And so my mom, with the important announcement every year, you have to be careful on the wet leaves. It's a tradition like unlike any other. Are there other PSAs weather-related for like seasonal changes from 
Mama Query, if I may. I don't know if that's the proper address. That's a that's a fair um, like, question. Like, like hail or, or tornadoes in the spring? No, like no, like typically just the wet leaves. Okay. My mom has a thing about the wet leaves. She always wants to make sure that people... I, I don't know if my mom had like some traumatic incident. Now, we did have, in Christmas of 83, we were driving through Steinmeier looking at Christmas lights, and my dad went a little hot on Steinmeier Drive on the ice and wiped out a mailbox. <laughs> um Dropped a profanity to which my mom said, uh, Lloyd, the children. And uh, that's like one of three times that I ever heard my dad swear when I was a kid. So maybe that incident, my mom gets overzealous about the wet leaves, but she wants to make sure that everybody's aware of it, right? I appreciate that. Um, that's not something I would have thought of about the Exactly. Fall. That's why my mom throws it out there, right? That's why my mom throws it out there. Okay, so along with leaves falling and the weather turning... That means it's football season, right? Yep. Tailgates, bonfires, barbecue, burgers, s'mores. It's all so much fun. Isn't it? Do you do mm-hmm. the haunted house stuff? I did at one point. It's phased out whenever we have kids. We go with our nephews sometimes, okay. but whenever we have kids at some point, that'll be back in my life. I always, We always get a, a kick out of those as well. Um, what I'm about to bring up here is not something that's... I, I, I take no joy in bringing this up. But I am curious, and I want to tread lightly because I want to be respectful of it, but I'm curious if, I think at this point, it's not even like original thought anymore, and it fascinates me. A couple of years ago, Jimmy, I'm not sure what year it was. You would know better than I. You have a better memory for these sorts of things. Do you remember in football when Indiana beat Virginia in a rainstorm, for that matter, at Memorial Stadium? Yes. What year was that, if we had to guess? 19? 18 or 19? I I was going to say 18, so yeah. So in that game, Indiana wins this ugly rainstorm game against Virginia. And afterwards, um, 18. 18. Tom Allen afterwards runs on the field, jumps on top of a player, which was his son, I think, but ran across sprints across to the opposite sideline, kicked over a trash can, which was kind of odd, starts jumping up and down and high-fiving other uh, students in the crowd, and sprints back across the field. And at that time, I sent a tweet that simply said, like, did Tom Allen just win a bowl game? And probably rightly so, people killed me for it. And what I said at that time was, look, I don't dispute in any way, shape, or form that Tom Allen is a wonderful person. I don't know him personally, but I do know people that have. Anybody I've talked to, he's a great human being. Correct. Great guy. And I think probably a pretty good defensive football coach. I would agree. But at that time, I said, and maybe I was experiencing a Tom Crean hangover. But I've always been weary of coaches that use overdramatic sideline gimmick of positivity because it makes me wonder if they're not trying to mask for a lack of aptitude in other areas. Almost like watch the right hand over here and don't pay attention to what the left hand's doing. And I simply said, for a fan base at Indiana that has become kind of fatigued with Tom Crean's antics, is this eventually going to take place with Tom Allen? And I don't know that a single person agreed with me. Probably rightly so. I probably was premature. 
But what I find interesting is that here we are six years later, five years later, whatever it is, five. And I watched against Akron when Indiana, first off, when Akron missed the field goal that would have won the game. And Tom Allen was, was I get it. I mean, he was relieved, I'm sure, to, to get a second lease in that game and get a chance to go into overtime. But I think that people were kind of exhausted by it. Like, dude, you're playing a team that was predicted to go fifth in their division of the MAC that hasn't beaten a Power Five conference team in like seven years. That's named after a type of rubber. That's named after, that's right, and, and a stride right shoe. Right? And it has a kangaroo as a mascot, as we learned last that's week. That's right. So the problem Indiana has always had, Jimmy, is this Indiana is Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. When Ferris Bueller said Cameron's going to end up marrying the first girl that gives him attention, Indiana with Tom Allen right away when they they got an inkling that there was a chance that like Mississippi or Mississippi State had interest in him, and they're like, here you go. We're going to give you – you want it, we're going to give it to you. Lake Monroe, it's yours. We're going to give you the the, the place that, that sells catfish on the way to Bloomington. It's yours as well. Assembly Hall, have it. They gave him everything. Herman B. Wells Library. That's it's right. now the Tom that's, Allen that's exactly Herman B. Right. Wells Library. And the scholarships, right? <laughs> and they locked him in, and they went overzealous as they've done. Indiana hasn't learned their lesson. No. They haven't learned their lesson. And so now all of a sudden, like they, what are they going to do? They're, they're basically, and I think Indiana fans at this point are absolutely fatigued. Again, I don't think anybody questions that he's a fine, fine man. But he also is a guy that, that like, was, he was a high school football coach. And, like, the rah-rah nature of it, to me, the real telling point, there are two things to me that prove that it's time for Indiana to have to make a change. Actually, three things, Okay. The first, last year before the bucket game, there was a video, Kevin and Mark and I played it a lot in the morning show. There was a video of Tom Allen in his pregame speech, Jimmy, where he's pacing back and forth. Like it it made me nervous to watch it. You know what I mean? And I'm on medications to, I got a governor <laughs> on my heart, right? He's pacing back and forth and he's he's talking real fast and you can barely understand what he's saying. And, and the players, though, are staring at the floor. They're staring at the floor. Like when you were a senior in high school and everybody had to get up and read like Shakespeare lines and there was the one kid that couldn't do it and everybody's like staring at the floor because it's awkward and uncomfortable. That's what every player looked like in his pregame speech before the bucket game. I kid you not. And then the other day when they beat Akron, and I get that they do this after every game. I get it. But the thing where he sings the fight song and then he goes jazz hands for the second verse of it and he's like whispering it like like it's the Beatles doing shout and you're, you're quiet and then you get louder and louder. <laughs> and, and and the camera, and Indiana football is the one that sent this out, the camera's panning over. Well, that's the other thing, right? It's also on the social media department because totally. it, it's clearly like if, if you thought it was a bad look, whether it was a higher up in the athletic department, whether it was actually the social media team, if you thought it was a bad look, you wouldn't send it out. Like they're not they're not hiding that aspect of it because there is some... Singing the fight song is fine. I admit, though, the jazz hands makes me cringe every time. It just well, they've does. always done that. I know they have, yeah, but it just makes me. I don't get how it, that cop pops into your head, like well, something you want to do like that, uh, and to send it out like that. But the problem is this: you're right, Eddie, that they've that they've 
always done it, right? But in the past, in this era, I don't remember like it, when I was in school. No, no, no. The, time in the Tom Allen era, they've always done it. They've always done the Indiana fight song it's in not the like Tom Allen era. Tradition that's been passed down for fifty. But years. unfortunately, now for the players, it now it looks like with the players, like we're still doing this. Like it's like it, the Gangnam Style thing was like really cool in like 2013, right? By 2014, if you tried to do it again on a TikTok video, people are like we're still doing this. About a year is, off is, on that, is yeah. still yes, a thing. Yep, yep, yep. And like he's doing that. He's doing the Indiana thing after the Akron game, and they pan the roster, and there's one kid literally rolling his eyes and shaking his head. Like, what the hell are we doing here? Who is this dude, and why is he? It's just very awkward and uncomfortable, right? Here's the other issue with it, though, and maybe this is where we're leading. The enthusiasm, the high energy level does not match the success. Correct. Because it's it goes from awesome and cool and gets you hyped when there's levels of success to it, when it's double overtime over Akron and still trying to figure out if there's math for them to get to six bowl game or six bowl wins to get six wins to get to a bowl game, then it turns into awkwardness and cringy and overkill. And, and there just hasn't been, I guess there's been a couple bowl appearances and yes, they've come close, but there hasn't been any winning to match the level of tenacity and just vibes of overkill that come with it. Jimmy, I used to wear, because it's more comfortable to me, I used to frequently wear hats backwards. Hats in general. I, I, I don't st- wear hats I, near I as still, much as I do. still do. So. Okay. Hear me out. Okay. I used to frequently wear hats backwards. And then I realized that once I had a hat backward on and my sideburns were gray, that it was totally contradictory <laughs> and it looked ridiculous. <laughs> Okay, so that's the line. That's the line I have to look forward to. Because I always wondered, like, I know there's yeah. a negative kind of. I know this is getting away from the point. I know there's a negative connotation around backwards hat guy. I didn't realize there was that ne- ne- negative connotation until two or three years ago. And then I'm wondering when does it click? Where I'm like, you know what? I'm going forward from now. I, I think if you're a youthful person, it's cool, and and you are. I mean, you know, or even a young spirited person. Sure. But it starts to look weird when you're wearing a hat backwards and like and sweatpants every day when you're 55 years old right i'm the first to admit it sure the same thing with there's one thing about an enthusiasm or fight songs or gimmicks in the locker room when your team is nine and one and going into a new year's day bowl game or something like that but when when you have struggled mightily and everybody knows you're struggling mightily and there are so few people in your crowd that when you're going into the third double the third overtime against like the 148th ranked program in the country and there are so few people in the crowd that they're able to actually slide from one end zone and then all get up and move (laughs) to the other end zone and go back and forth that's an issue right yeah suddenly now it's it's not as cool as it once was. Now, to me, the thing for Indiana is this that I've said before. Right now, the the the, the stock in the Big Ten has never been higher. It's never been higher than right now, the stock in the Big Ten. Because right now, the Big Ten is bringing in Oregon. They're bringing in Washington. I mean, the Big Ten is a year away now from joining the two teams that arguably last Saturday were the biggest talking points in college football. I mean, I know Ohio State obviously is already there, and Notre Dame may at some point come. The percent, even though, even though it's probably not the case that Notre Dame is going to come to the Big Ten, 
the possibility is there. And and we still talk about the possibility that Notre Dame could eventually be a Big Ten team. There's high-level cachet with the Big Ten Correct. Right now. Oregon's coming. Washington's coming. USC. USC's UCLA. coming. UCLA's coming. The, the perception right now is that the Big Ten is about to become the biggest super conference as college football is moving towards super conference era. Move now, over, SEC. Big Ten's time. Right. So Even though I know Big Ten country, they would argue that. But and still. in three years, Jimmy, we're probably going to find out that all of that is nothing more than smoke and mirrors. But for right now, yes. the stock has never been higher. So based on that, there are coaches out there whether they are at maybe not an SEC school, but like look at Florida State. Florida State just had a really impressive win. I know Clemson's not regular Clemson, but they go into Clemson, they they hold serve, and they have an impressive win, and they're ranked in the top five. Florida State had an opening for their football coaching job, and they went out and said, who's a young coach that has made programs better each step of the way? Here's a guy that's coming from Memphis that I don't believe had any connection to Florida State, but he wanted to get to Florida State because it's Florida State, right? Coach, There are coaches out there that are going to want to get into the Big Ten because of the fact that they, the perception is that it's raining outside and the Big Ten has a really good roof on it and you better get in now before the storm sweeps you away and you get lost and you're on the outside looking in in college football. So there are coaches that would take the Indiana job now that wouldn't have three years ago perhaps because it's in the Big Ten and that's what they want to get into. The Indiana, even though the, the Indiana has been it's the losingest program in the history of college football. Okay? That's a tough sell. But it's in the conference that the perception is you have to be in one of two in three years from now. You're either going to have to be in the Big Ten or you're going to have to be in the like SEC, whoever they merge with, mashup, superpower conference, right? right? Yeah. But Indiana can't do that because based on one COVID year in front of 5,000 people every game, they had a great year. And so they just went ahead and said, yep. look, the toll road, that, that we, we'd give you the toll road up by Gary, but we already sold that. So what else do you want? You want like the Redneck Audubon, I-69, the extension? Fine, take it. We're going to lock you in. And I do feel like Indiana fans now are at their wits end with it. Well, I got bad news for you. I just looked it up because I was curious. This comes out every year around this time, but this is a piece from 2022 from Zach Osterman. Nothing's changing until December 1st, 2024. Yeah, he has the ninth highest buyout his in college buyout, football. His buyout on December 1st of this year is $20 million. Yeah, not going to happen, right? It, you could have a conversation at some places, not in Indiana for the football program. They will They will power through one more year of whatever it's going to be before they spend $20 million to buy out a coach and then go spend a certain amount of money to go get another coach. So like it it they backed themselves into a corner to some extent and look, I I really like Tom Allen. I would love to see him make good. Who knows? Maybe they still salvage the season, they get some momentum and they go win a bowl game. I mean, I I would say it's probably a big ask, but maybe they're able to do that. If they don't, they fall short of it, they go whatever, they only win 3 games this year, let's say, 3 or 4 games. I think they're already up to 3. So if they are able to get uh Four wins this year. They got two, You're right? Stuck. They got two. You're right. They beat, they beat Akron. Two wins. Right? Akron and then um, they lost to Louisville and then... Indiana State, right? Indiana State. So Indiana State and Akron are their two wins. Let's say they get four wins this year. IU, as an athletics department, 
is not going to invest $20 million to make a coaching change. They'll wait another year. And I don't blame them either. I, I just think the flagpole, the, the, the suites they had, which looked like bingo tables with a tent over them, like they stopped by the old TIS and bought a couple of, and, and they called them like end zone suites. It just feels gimmicky unless you're getting results. Correct. But because and, and again, of what they did, they went Ferris Bueller, like you mentioned. Totally. And nothing, nothing's going to change until Jimmy, I want to make very clear. I think Tom Allen, by all account, you know, I, I had, to be fair, I had a mutual friend. I guess you'd say buddy of mine, but more so a very close friend to many of my college buddies who was a member of the Indiana staff who unfortunately passed from cancer while working for Indiana football. And by everything I've ever heard, Tom Allen was a saint of a human being to him, a wonderful, compassionate, scrupulous man. I, I don't dispute any of that. I've heard the same. I've never heard. I've never heard a bad thing about Tom Allen the person. Correct. And I have some mutual friends that that know him as well. I, I've never heard a bad. Thing. I really really like Tom Allen. But unfortunately, his job is to do what he has to do to win college football games. And the things that he does right now feel like they are now going in the opposite direction. And not only not winning football games, but getting perhaps even players to start to go yeah i don't know um your buddy jimmy your 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 brethren kansas city chiefs fan steve joins us steve what's up hi guys good afternoon steve how's milton doing milton is the world's greatest rescue dog that you rescued a few years ago he is one of he is he's my favorite non-walsh dog how's that sound He's doing good. Doing real good. Good. I like that. And um, Steve, you were kind enough to invite me to an event for uh, that Milton's going to be at this weekend. And then it dawned on me that there's a Colts game at that time, so I unfortunately can't make it. But I asked that you give Milton a few extra pats for me. Okay, no problem. Uh, what's going on, Steve? Bud, listen. Heard Jimmy talk about the, how the Colts fans are all excited. As a Chiefs fan, with. When we were three and thirteen and two and fourteen, we were still Chiefs fans. You just gotta roll with it. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Look, and here's the thing, Steve. As a matter of fact, Steve, I was at your house for one of the Super Bowls, and I don't think that was the year the Niners won it, right? But you were still wearing a Niners jersey, right? Uh no, it was a Bengals jersey because won the game and probably lost a bet. Ah, there we go. Well, still, you have never wavered from your Chiefs fandom, which I love. There you go. See, St- Steve says it'll pay off for you, right? You got to power through. And again, like somebody else in the chat came at me like, oh, these guys saying they should take. I've never heard anything like this. Look, Alex Smith and those years, they were fun because Andy Reid resurrected the Chiefs for all the damage that Todd Haley and Scott Bioli did to them. And they finally won a playoff game in my lifetime. But eventually there was a clear ceiling with where they could go. Right, right. And and eventually you're going to hit that point. Water's going to find its level. You're going to find the line of demarcation where, while we're really only going to win the division and then get smoked by New England by 15 in a game that's not close. Well, here's the thing. Anybody in Indianapolis that says they've never actually heard of tanking has a short memory. <laughs> Terry, what's up? Uh, good afternoon, boys. Hey, I just wanted to give you a little inside insight from a player's perspective okay. about about the coaching staff down there. 
And let me start off by saying anybody in their right mind is going to look at this program and know this dude needs to go. And whoever signed him to that monster contract needs to go. And, but I don't think that we should be painting him as this fabulous human being. He's lost a lot of players down there. Phoenix lost him. They're not truthful with their players. And they started seeing through it. He's lost them. He's lost them all. And he's just not truthful with them. Well, I do think, Terry, that certainly the videos I talked about, and I know that it's it's dangerous to draw like a rock-solid conclusion based on a couple-minute video, right? I mean, I'm going to trust what you're right. saying, Terry, for sure. You know, Penix, obviously, you, you had I, – I do think that where Tom Allen erred also is I think he made some tactical errors in which – assistants and coordinators he has decided to keep as opposed to change in the last couple of years I think that's really hurt him I think maybe he underestimated the loyalty that some players might have to those guys for sure um and I just think that when you look at the video you can certainly see and I appreciate the call Terry you could see where the players seem to be kind of checked out for sure you know is it because they don't trust him you know I don't know about that but um I will take if if you know a young player that plays down there. You know the problem with, with that you get into there. To be fair, is when you have a program with a hundred guys, you're always going to have ten to fifteen of them that feel like they're not getting enough playing and, time. And that's magnified co- with the portal. Exactly. Like, like, like look no further, and whether it's worked or not, we'll wait and see because they got boat raced by Oregon. Look no further than Deion Sanders' opening recorded statement to the Colorado locker room when he was announced he actively asked guys to go in the transfer portal because for a lot of programs now it's become a business now that's an extreme example where Sanders are trying to turn over the entire roster and make them in the into a contender right away but you see so more of the we talked about this a little earlier today of, of instant gratification in today's society that happens a lot with young people that feel like I'm not going to sit around here for two years to maybe get an opportunity when I can hop somewhere else and go get a better opportunity I will admit the idea that Michael Penix Jr. used to play for IU football and now is on the doorstep of Heisman conversations and maybe a top pick next year is gutting for IU football fans I understand that but the the idea of players that are in the margins or with how big the roster sizes are, you're going to have turnover sometimes. It's going to happen. Yeah, I mean that's the, you're always going to have a couple of guys that that did not get a fair shake for sure. Now Penix, I will say, uh, can Penix win the Heisman? I think so. I mean, he doesn't have the cachet of a Caleb Williams, but the numbers he's put up. Mm-hmm. Has he had a game yet under 400 yards? I don't think so. I mean, it's a now Washington is a pretty good program. And a known pro. I mean, they've been in the college football playoff since the advent of the playoff itself. They could get it again this year. And you could make the. If you were going to say it's hard for him because of the time zone he plays in, same time zone as Caleb Williams, Correct. right? But, you know. It's USC versus Washington. I get it. And, and Williams is the incumbent. It's yes. always hard to beat the incumbent, yes. right? Can you name the first Heisman incumbent that then lost the Heisman? I was actually going to ask you. I can't. I was going to ask you before that of who's the last Heisman to go back to back because I I'm bad. It's only trivia. happened once. Archie Griffin, seventy four so and seventy five. So, so you got like I. So 
Archie Griffin won it in 74 and 75. Then in Billy, Billy Sims won the Heisman in 78. He returned in 79, but he lost it to Charles White. Didn't happen again until 1990 when many thought Rahib Ismail was going to win the Heisman. Uh, Ty Detmer won the Heisman in 90, but then in 91 he lost it to Desmond Howard. Now, of course, it's a little more rare because guys, although, you know, like Johnny Manziel, you know, won it as a freshman, obviously didn't come back and win it. Um, back then, in, in the old days, Jimmy, it, it was very rare for someone to win it until they were at least a junior. So it, typically it was a senior award. I do remember that aspect of as my childhood of all big deal being made of, oh, there's a sophomore here with a chance. Correct. You know, like, it was so, yeah, it was totally unique, right? So yeah. now it's, you know, and then it kind of morphed into, it went through a period there where it was just the quarterback and or best player on the national championship team. Now it's kind of gotten back to, again, the player with the best individual season in college football. Halfway through the show, as a matter of fact, 1.30 here in Indianapolis. It's 1.30 everywhere in the Eastern Time Zone. My name is Jake Query, Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison here as well. It is Query Company on 93.5107.5 The Fan. Stephen Holder going to join us 2 o'clock. We'll get you set for Colts. Uh, as I've always said, probably tomorrow would be the day that you more do so. But um, usually Monday is kind of the analysis of, of what happened on Sunday day. Tuesday is you get updated on where everybody is from a health standpoint. Obviously, all eyes on Anthony Richardson in that regard. And then on Wednesday, you really start turning the page and taking a look at who is next. We got a chance to see who's next for the Colts. Talking about the Los Angeles Rams last night on Monday Night Football. I think Eddie, the thing, or excuse me, Jimmy, well, either one of you guys, the thing about that game that's interesting last night was, you know, here are the Rams next for the Colts. But it kind of felt like everybody was watching that game to find out who the Bengals are at this point, not the Rams, right? Yeah, the main identity crisis was the intrigue of Joe Burrow being out there. How's the calf? Are they going to fall into an 0-3 hole? Or are they going to claw themselves out of it and get themselves better standing, kind of like they did a year ago? You learn that Burrow looks limited. The long ball's not there for him right now. And the few times he had to scramble, you could... I had collective gasp, but like, oh, I hope he's all right. I can only imagine how Bengals fans feel. From the Rams side of things, and this goes in part to what you were also looking for with the Bengals was for the last couple of years, they've been known for their stout defensive play, and that's kind of wavered the first two weeks of the season. They limited Los Angeles in a lot of different categories yesterday, most notably a lot of hype around Kyron Williams going into that game. He had had two great starts the first two games of the season. Then he only has 10 carries for 38 yards. There was no Cooper Cup. So the struggle is, is the Rams offense that bad or are the Bengals finally turning a quarter defensively? That's kind of where your outlook is today with how you're licking your chops for the Colts. Because from a defensive standpoint, Kyron Williams, after that performance, if I'm looking at what the Colts can do to opposing running backs, I'm not threatened right now going in about the Colts' ability to contain the run. And from a passing standpoint, it's been Pukunakua, who has stolen fantasy football owners' hearts the last couple of weeks, and Tyler Higby, and then an occasional pass to Van Jefferson. There's not a ton of hype around right. the Rams' offense. You're right. I mean that the the passing game. You know what was it? Matt Stafford's wife said that you know he's still having to introduce himself to the receivers or something along those lines. And Stafford's like, Nah, we're cool. It's okay. Um, you know, last night Stafford, I thought. You know, he threw two picks. He just didn't look in rhythm, quite frankly, and. He was sacked six times, and some of them were brutal. Like, like if, if the Colts yeah, get yeah, home yeah. that way... It, and, and you know what? The Colts' <laughs> defensive line, Jimmy, leads you to believe that they might be able to, yes. right? I mean, they've been... Yep. They've had the ability to be a little bit aggressive, 
and you know a little nasty at times but the Rams are an example of kind of the back half of what we talked about with the Colts and by that I mean with the Colts we were talking about the fact that there is an element of patience that is required right now because you don't want to get too greedy too early and you want to still be able to build organically now because you're building it step by step and in the Rams case they got greedy and it paid off but now they're paying on the backside of that in a big way because I recall vividly Jimmy when the Rams won the Super Bowl sitting in this exact same seat but it was 7.30 in the morning, not 1.30 in the afternoon. And Kevin Bowen and I sang, man, that was really something for the Rams last night. What a great game. Um, you know, obviously against the Bengals, the game we saw last night. And the, the late, you know, they got the sack. I think it was Aaron Darnold got the sack on, on uh, Aaron Donald got the sack on Joe Burrow late to, to secure that game. But yet you knew the Rams saw – Literally, they saw like a, a glimmer of light and they went for it and they mortgaged everything. They mortgaged their future for that Super Bowl and giving up future assets. And, and you knew at the time that it was going to come back to haunt them. Did it haunt them? I don't know. They got a Super Bowl out of it. Good for them, right? Kudos. But they're they're kind of paying for it right now, right? I mean, to your point, like the pieces that we're used to just aren't there. And it goes back to the larger point of the only way and i get it some people Aaron maybe look Donald's at this as too simplistic night, by the way. <laughs> he, he did I mean, come on he did the only way to win it all in this league and it's not i'm not saying that championship banners of division titles don't matter or that a conference championship game appearance doesn't matter but if you want to build it the right way and not just be a one and done type super bowl appearance team you need to either have an elite defense you have locked up long term or you need to have a top five quarterback in the National Football League. The Rams saw themselves with an elite defense, but because of how good the NFC was at the time, they needed to figure out what they were doing at quarterback. They needed a change. They mortgaged for the acquisition of Matthew Stafford. They went out and they upgraded their defense a little bit to solidify it even further as a monster unit. And they went and got Odell. Like They, they improved almost every area by sacrificing the next five years to win one Super Bowl. And I think a lot of fans would would probably take that. If you were given a choice to only see one Super Bowl in your life or maybe see one on a rebuild project, you'd probably take the sure thing. If you were guaranteed to get it, that's fine. But then you're reaping what you sow in the aftermath, which is a long rebuild at some point in time while trying to pass your roster off as still a championship contender. So that that's just the other way of looking at it. Like the Rams got their Super Bowl, and I'm sure if Colts fans had the opportunity to go all in, but know that it's going to be a dark road to get back there, you do it. I mean, you do, of course, right? But but, but the Colts, but it's the price you pay. You know what's interesting, Jimmy, is the Colts kind of did do that the one year when when they went all in and and they simply misassessed the pieces they were going to get. But to go back to what we were talking about earlier, the Colts when they got Andrew Luck, everybody knew that the Colts had a franchise quarterback from the get-go. I mean, Andrew Luck, 
Secretariat, if you've ever seen the movie Secretariat or if you've ever read about Secretariat, and I've actually been down to Claiborne Farms, I mean, I'm like slightly obsessed with Secretariat. Secretariat, the racehorse, the greatest racehorse ever to live, when they talk about Secretariat, one of the, the legendary stories of Secretariat is that when Secretariat was born, he stood within like seven minutes. And he, and he took steps within like nine minutes. Both of them were like, you know, really rare apparently, or, or I don't know the timing of it, but it was way earlier in development than most Colts, right? And that's what Andrew Luck was. Andrew Luck, from the time that he came out of the womb of college into the NFL, he was like walking and running right away. And it was like, holy cow. And that first year, I mean, people were like, here we go. We're coming right off the Peyton Manning era. We struggled through one year of suck for luck. And here we are. Boom. Let's, let's go with it. Well, they did a total roster revamp, and the schedule was favorable because they were coming off the disastrous season. Every single ball bounced their way. They had Bruce Arians calling plays for them, and and guys were bought into that uh, along with other things. Um, and I can't recall, actually, now that I mentioned that. Yeah, the Pagano injury, the, the Arians was the first year, right? Uh, and so, so, yeah. So at any rate, you had early success with luck. And then instead of saying we need to continue, and I don't blame, and this is, I'll actually put this on the owner. As opposed to putting it on Ryan Griggs, and I'll put this on the owner. The owner then said, we're in, let's go. We are pushing in right now. We're going for it. Multiple Lombardis. And in defense of Ryan Grigson. Instead of being able to still like methodically build it, he Ryan Grigson was forced to push all in. So they go out and they get Andre Johnson and Frank Gore, who were both Frank Gore still had some. Andre Johnson was not only had fallen off a cliff, he like walked backwards over it. I mean, it was like holy cow. Yeah. And and they mortgaged the future for immediate success. They just did. And I just don't think now has Jim Mercer learned that lesson? I don't know, but I do. I, I do commend Chris Ballard for now with with Anthony Richardson. You know, he has theoretically bought himself four more years of patience from the owner if the owner learned his lesson. I also want to clarify one thing for the YouTube chat because there's been comments about how I'm outlining where teams should go in the NFL. My viewpoint is not Lombardi trophy or tank. What matters is that middle area, what your future outlook is. And what I mean by that is a playoff team with a quarterback that it's clearly capped how far you can go. Like if the Colts were to name Gardner Minshew, their starter or the giants with Daniel Jones or the Vikings with Kirk cousins, there is a clear limit to how far your team can go. You're still rooting for that team. You're still happy when they win division titles. You're still happy when they win playoff games. But there is a clear cap to where you can go. For the Colts, for the Bengals the last couple of years, for the Bills now with Josh Allen, for Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes, for the Eagles with Jalen Hurts. Not only do you know where your ceiling is, but you might be able to reach beyond that and have reason for hope and optimism because you figured out the most important position in the sport. That is what I'm arguing for with the Colts. I'm not saying I want them to only win four games this year for the sake of only winning four games. No, and I get it. For with Gardner Minshew, you have a much more defined ceiling, right? And also, 
Yes. But also, I want to know what Anthony Richardson is. And I want to know if he puts the franchise into a position where they feel the same way as Bills fans do, as Chiefs fans, as Bengals fans, as Eagles fans. You know the ultimate feeling you're going to have with Minshew, which is a nice feeling for right now. It's not good enough to contend in today's NFL. It's just not. Did you see that Napoleon Dynamite movie? It's been a long time, but I have seen it a couple of times. Are we done with the Uncle Rico comparisons? I don't hear Gardner Minshew referenced as Uncle Rico quite as much as I used to. I would agree. I don't think it's over, though. But I think part of that is because he's his position has been labeled on this team. Did, did you like that Napoleon Dynamite? I enjoyed it, sure. Who did you think was the best character in Napoleon Dynamite? I mean... It's hard to not argue Uncle Rico, but I, I greatly enjoyed Napoleon. I can't remember his brother. I, for the life of me, I can't remember what his brother's name I think his was, brother was. But, the I, best but I really enjoyed his brother. I think his brother was Eddie. Did you have a favorite character from Napoleon Dynamite? Uh, the llama. <laughs> I was a bi- I was a big fan of Pedro. Pedro's I, I had cool. a vote for Pedro, Pedro T-shirt. Oh. Did you have a vote for Pedro T-shirt? I did have a vote for Pedro. T-shirt. Do you know what state Napoleon Dynamite takes place? Wyoming. Very good guess, Eddie. You got a guess? I'm going to say uh, Montana. Also a good guess. What if I told you that this state, in the ultimate irony, when I was driving through this state, I stopped at a Denny's. I was with two of my buddies. We're, we're road tripping. We stop in this state. We walk in. We sit down at Denny's. And they go, what can we get you? It's like 1 o'clock in the morning. We're just And I said, all three of us want a baked potato. And the gal said, and I quote, uh, actually, we're out of them. Idaho? Yeah. And I'm like, you're out of them? Can't you go to the backyard and get three of them and bring them out here on a plate? Come on. Boise, Idaho, Denny's was out of baked potatoes. How does that happen? It's like being out of orange juice in Florida. Totally. I'm like, how does that happen? You're known for one thing. <laughs> this was before Boise State decided to do the Statue of Liberty play against Oklahoma. So I'm like, your entire state is known for one thing and you're out of it. How is that possible? That and the weird colored court in the NCAA tournament. That's it. That's the two things that I don't... And then... We went to northern Idaho, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. Absolutely really? gorgeous. I take I take everything back at the time that I'd said about Idaho because I didn't have any potatoes at the moment. Uh, absolutely beautiful state. Boise is a gorgeous area, um, underrated, and they're tired of all the Californians moving there. But yes, Napoleon Dynamite takes place in the state of Idaho, just so you know. I never saw the movie My Private Idaho, but I saw Napoleon Dynamite that takes place in Idaho. I'm but adding it to my Kip. Com- Kip is the brother, Kip. right? Yes, yes. I, I'm adding it. I've pretty much just been like talking to babes all day. <laughs> the brother's awesome. Yes, Kip's awesome. Um, I, uh, I'm i adding it to my company fun fact board. <laughs> Thank you. You have a fun fact board from I ju- the company? I just started it today. Well, I like that. I really, what other, what other fun facts ago. have we had? I'd like to know. The Quarry Company fun facts consist of what? Eddie wears two necklaces. That's one of the fun facts, right? Yeah. Never-ending supply of I cologne. I forgot what size my hat was, and actually said it was an eight-inch head. You said you said you had an eight and three-eight <laughs> yeah. hat, and I'm like, yeah. wait, what? Yeah. What other fun facts have we had? I, the we, dangers of wet leaves. Well, we know the dangers of wet leaves. My mom lets us know every year, sure. right? And again- You uh, used to watch uh, Jeopardy. That is a fun fact. I'd watch Before. Jeopardy on the Topeka New, uh, yeah. Topeka channel at 4 o'clock and then watch it at 7 o'clock on the Kansas City channel and and literally just ring everybody. It was great. I know it's been your one of your adages that you've taken from show to show, but the 2025 line is now part of fun fact lore, I would say. Selena Gomez is on my hall pass list. Yeah, there you go. Yep. That That's your number one hall pass list? And, and I don't know. See, it's another thing. How about this? How about this? Here's a fun fact I learned today from this program. You ready? 
Eddie's girlfriend loves Joe Burrow. Yeah. Does she love him more than she loves you? That's a good question. I ask myself <laughs> that occasionally. Do you really? I do. Sometimes I do. Were you dating her at the time that Joe Burrow was at LSU? I was dating her before Joe Burrow got big at LSU, so yeah. And so you were the one that was probably watching a game, and she noticed Joe Burrow for the first time and saw his like batty eyelashes and was like, oh, Joe. Right? Is that what happened? Possibly. She She's always been a fan of LSU and Florida State, which is wild, but... Um, my guess is we were just watching like See, an LSU here's what game. I think, and here's what I think is unusual about this. The other day when I asked, in another uh, show, fun fact, when I asked what game on the road you would most like to go see, and you said you'd like most like to go to LSU. Yeah. Little so, so you are confessing to the fact that you also would be willing to go to watch live a game from a program whose signature player is the one that your girlfriend secretly likes more than you, right? Sure. That would be like your girlfriend saying that she wants to go to a Selena Gomez, like go see Selena Gomez in person. Would you? Would you be? I guess you'd be cool with that, right? I, I yeah, yeah, duh, of course, right? Duh. Okay. Uh, Stephen Holder, by the way, mercifully joins us in fifteen. Remember one of the first shows we did? I pointed out to you guys this is ELO, and when I interviewed Tom Allen once, the aforementioned Tom Allen, who obviously uses his mantra LEO, and I said, "Oh, you must also like the band ELO," and he's like, "I've never heard of them." I'm like, ELO, like they, um, they were like pretty big in the late 70s. He'd never heard of them. I'm like, found that kind of odd, to be honest with you. Like, don't most people know this song? I know this song. I wouldn't have known it was ELO, though. And this is the nerd, the nerd factor in me. I wouldn't have known about it without Guardians of the Galaxy. That whole Marvel era plays 80s, 70s music. And like Mr. Blue Sky, for instance, is featured in one of those movies. So wouldn't, wouldn't have reached my generation or at least a pocket of my generation without that. You graduated from high school in what year? 2013. Okay, so who were... Give me a handful of of bands that were big in 2013. Bands or artists? Bands. And I'm going to show my ignorance here, admittedly. So fair is fair, you know, whatever. Coldplay. Okay. Was Uh, Maroon 5 still a thing Yeah, I think that... 21 Pilots, were they a thing then? Adam Levine had started to separate a little bit, but Maroon 5 was still there. 21 Pilots were really like 14 or 15 for me. Um, I didn't... (laughs) I don't care. I have no shame. I like Harry Styles currently as a solo act. I was never a big One Direction guy, but they were pretty big like my senior year of of high school. The Lumineers? Yeah. uh, Imagine Dragons. Yeah, Imagine Dragons would be a good one because they had a couple of big hits. I don't know that they're still, but you still hear those hits a, sure. lot, a, a lot, right? Yes. Radioactive was massive. My Fallout Boy, Fallout Boy. Yeah, they'd started to kind of put together more music. So imagine when you're 50, if somebody's like, "Hey, Fallout Boy," and you're like, yeah, "I've never heard of them." Sure, right. I get it. So I was just asking this question. I said because I'm sitting here looking at something, and I said, "Was there ever something in your life that you were going to have you were going to buy on an impulse buy?" And 99% of the time, if you are about to pull the trigger on an impulse purchase and you say, you know what? No, I'm going to walk away. 99% of the time, you never think about it again. And then there's the one thing that you're like, you just forever, like not a week passes where you're not like, I should have just bought that. And I was asking you guys that because something popped up here that, that allowed me to look at something. And you, Jimmy Cook said, oh, you mean the iPhone 15? I'm here to tell you, I have no regret so far over not purchasing the iPhone 15. But you have the new one, and other than you are still happy with your purchase? I am happy with my purchase, yes. 
Eddie, would you ever go like in the first week of the iPhone release on something and spend the extra money? Nope. I will tell you this, though. If it makes you feel any better, if you want solace in this, what I traditionally have done, the even-numbered phones is generally where there's a bigger overhaul. So, like, next year, I will probably upgrade again, assuming it's a big change. But after that, I think I'm going to wait every two-year cycle because this one is not number a year. It's not as extravagant of an upgrade as, say, when I upgraded. I have no idea what year I got this phone. I don't even know what model this phone is. All we know, it's an iPhone. How many cameras does it have on the back? How many cameras does it have? Looks like two, I guess. All right, I'm going to say you got that somewhere between 2000 and... Oh, wait, wait, let me see the front of the phone. Can you show just me the front? Okay, it has a notch on it, so it's after... So somewhere between 2017 and 2021. Okay, I'll believe you. Um, (laughs) My thing is this with the iPhone, and and I cannot be... I want to know if anybody else has ever noticed this. They added Face ID in 17 with that notch. That's why I know that. Okay. Um, I'll believe you. All right. Here's my one thing with the iphone and i want to know if it's one of those things that i noticed and and i started pointing it out to people and people thought i was crazy and i'm like i I know i'm not crazy here and then finally someone like my buddy mike byron who i used to get on all the time when this would happen and he's like dude you're you're you have like sensory overload or something and then it happened to him and he's like oh my gosh you're right i have a theory here jimmy are you ready yes and then Stephen holder here coming up in seven minutes the iPhone, I don't know which series or whatever, right? But the iPhone basically works as two things. It is a phone. I mean, it's obviously a computer too. But the other, uh, another big purpose of it is it is a video camera, okay? It has two microphones as a result of that. One that you talk into when you're having a phone conversation and another that is an ambient mic designed to pick up the sounds when you are videotaping with a video camera. If you talk to somebody and you have them on speaker, and they put you on speaker, then it opens up both microphones, and thus, if you're talking to somebody and they're like picking up a sheet of paper, you're like, whoa, like, what are you doing? That is so loud. And they're like, what are you talking about, dude? I'm just, I'm opening my mail. And everybody thought I was crazy, because I most of my conversations, I put people on speakerphone and sit there and talk on speaker. How long have you done that, would you say? Done what? Talk to people on speaker. I, I don't know, a couple of years, I don't know. I mean, not like in, I don't do it in public. I do it like if I'm sitting okay, at home. Okay. If I'm sitting at home because I'm doing stuff, I have it on there. Sure. Ryan Robertson, my resident Apple expert. Um, Eddie washed dishes one time when I called him and it was the loudest thing. Exactly. Ever. And it's louder yes. than the person talking, right? Correct. You're like, yes. why are you in wait, Niagara wait, Falls? Wait, wait, wait. I had the AirPods in, so. Okay, that, again. That's but that's still that, kind of that also like horrible. speaker effect, right? Listen, AirPods and the through the car thing are perfect and wonderful for one half of the parties involved the other one it's like this is the worst thing ever get out of the bottom of the cave and talk quit talking through a soup can but it's actually over the radio airwaves where we're going to talk to Stephen holder next two o'clock hour in indianapolis for that matter it's the two o'clock hour everywhere in the eastern time zone joining us now on the hotline you can read his work at espn.com along with obviously the various appearances he makes on this radio show which are always appreciated uh steven holder joins us on the program steven i'm going to begin with this uh as i was saying typically wednesday is kind of where we turn the page into the next opponent we saw the rams last night but um i I hadn't really gotten fully up to speed on this of those not named anthony richardson or ryan kelly who we will continue to keep an eye on 
were there any players coming out of the Baltimore game that got dinged up that are still lingering, so to speak, in terms of their practice availability this week? I would say not that I know of. You know, sometimes we learn of things on Wednesday that that we didn't previously hear about. You know, they're not obligated to tell us about injuries, but I I will say that Shane Steichen, after the game on Sunday, said that there was nothing obvious to report on injuries. Uh, Zach Moss definitely got banged up in the game. I mean, I think if you watched the game, you could tell he wasn't 100%. But uh, we've talked to him now on two separate occasions uh, since the game, and, and he seems to express that he's fine. Uh, he's a tough guy. So, you know, I, I think he would be the one that I was maybe some, somewhat concerned about, but he seems like he's all right. So, yeah, I think they're in pretty decent shape in terms of injuries that we know of, and and we'll see if they can maybe get back to full strength on Sunday. Okay, I'm going to go with – it's not even the elephant in the room at this point. I mean, it's like it's already broken all the china because it's been running around <laughs> rampantly. Um, when Jonathan Taylor is off pup, Twiggy, as we call him. Um, there is still that question mark, Stephen, as as to how he is handled, uh, both from his standpoint and his approach, and from the Colts' approach. Your crystal ball tells you that it will all go down and develop. How? So, as we get closer to this, and as it starts to take shape, because let's back up first when. When they talked about trading him and allowed him to to seek out a trade before right before the season, uh, when that self-imposed deadline came and went, I they put him on pup, and I really thought it was just a matter of buying time. But you know, in, in other words, thinking he still wants to be traded, and and maybe when the time comes for him to get off pup, you know, he would still pursue that angle. I'm not saying he won't still pursue that and maybe doesn't still want that. I just don't know that the opportunity is necessarily there. Now, the landscape has changed a little bit. You know, there have been some some running back moves made by other teams that that had needs. So, so there's not any obvious uh, destination right now. I think Miami was, I will tell you, the, the Miami Dolphins were the, absolutely the, the most interested team. And I thought that was the destination. If he got traded, that's where he would go. I don't know under what circumstance you could make the case right now that the Miami Dolphins should trade for Jonathan Taylor. Now, the Miami Dolphins with Jonathan Taylor would be amazing, <laughs> okay, clearly. But what are they willing to give up? What, what would they give up for anything right now with the team that they appear to have? So, I mean, they are – willing these running backs to 300-yard games right now. I mean, and a lot of that is is both through their their own abilities, but also Mike McDaniel creating that through scheme and, and things of, of that nature. So they are not, you wouldn't think, they are not a team that's going to move heaven and earth to get Jonathan Taylor right now. That makes no sense. So I don't know where he goes. I think the most likely scenario, this is a long answer, but I think the most likely scenario is Jonathan Taylor uh, gets out there, gets in shape, and and plays for the Colts this year. Uh, at some point, he has to do something. I, I think otherwise, I think he makes it probably harder on himself in the spring. You know, when he does try to get the big deal that he is seeking, uh, I don't think it makes it better for him if he hasn't displayed anything for a very long time. So I think I think the odds have gone up dramatically that Jonathan Taylor plays for the Colts pretty soon. 
ESPN Stephen Older with us here on Query and Company. Stephen, where does Zach Moss's role get diminished if Jonathan Taylor returns? And is there anything he can do to change the way it's diminished between now and then with Los Angeles looming? Yeah, good question. And I, I have a story that's going to run that addresses some of this. I think tomorrow. Anyway, I think it's a good question, and I would say that they can co- they can coexist. The two of them. They're very different players. Zach Moss is is a power runner, uh, a guy who is going to wear you down. And you have Jonathan Taylor can do that. He he does run with power, but he is clearly uh, much more regarded as a as a home run hitter, a, a big play kind of guy. And I actually think, look, you can be mad at Jonathan Taylor. You can you can say lots of nasty things about the way he's handled it. it you know, as, as some fans have. You know, I get that. You know, you you like you like your team to be at full strength, and you want everybody to be all in. I, I get all that. But the one thing, whether you like him right now or hate him, the, the one thing you cannot deny is that the Colts could sure as hell use some big plays. And that is not a, a knock on anybody they have. They just they don't have a lot of big play explosiveness right now, even though they are winning, and and their offense has has been productive in spite of that. Uh, they've had to, they've had to kind of overcome the lack of those big plays. You know, their their yards per play right now is probably not enough to get it done. I mean, they're having to kind of overcome that, and, and frankly, their defense is what is leading the way. So, Jonathan Taylor can provide that. He's probably their most likely guy to provide big plays for them. So, I think that that helps them. And I'm telling you, the, the schedule they have coming up. I mean, there's no reason why. Uh, you shouldn't be optimistic if Jonathan Taylor's out there. Stephen Holder's our guest, ESPN.com, where you can read his work. Stephen, I, I mentioned this earlier. Now I know, um, you know, when I when I look over like on my resume, I have like on the third line of my resume, uh, Stephen Holder loves my analogies. That's like right there towards the top of awards and achievements, I mean, right? People actually hire you based on that, right? <laughs> uh-huh. Well, actually, they hire me, and then they hear my my analogies, and they're like, "Well, wait a minute, who who approved this?" Well, so that, that, that lowers my credibility. But go ahead. That's right. Go ahead. Uh, so you've been to Baskin Robbins before, right? I believe I have. Yeah. Okay. Baskin Robbins known for their thirty uh, thirty one flavors. I, I thought it was thirty three. It's thirty one flavors of Baskin Robbins ice cream. Okay. There are thirty two <laughs> NFL teams. Now, we all know. 90% of people that go to Baskin-Robbins are getting one of like five flavors, right? Yeah. The NFL to me is this year, so far, we're very early in. It's Baskin-Robbins. There's like five teams that everybody knows are really good. There, there are a couple of – there are two teams in the Bears and, you know, probably the Broncos that are like – you know, I have no idea what the you know dishwater flavored ice cream. Like, no, nobody's buying that. Everybody knows it's awful. And then in the right. middle is just all the butter pecan interchangeable. Like, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's good. Yeah, whatever. Sure, I'll eat it. Mm-hmm. So, in your opinion, the five, I guess actually the first question would be, who would you consider to be the five best flavors? Mint chocolate chip. Can we go with that? Uh, I, I, that's one of those where eh, I'll eat it. Um, Rocky Road. I, uh, I'm a, I, I will do Rocky Road for sure. Um, I, I this is maybe going to be there's probably going to be some disagreement on this, but um, 
I don't know, man. I, I can do the cookie dough too. Okay, I, don't know. I, I think the cookie dough is, is is definitely the cookie dough is like the Chiefs, right? Like it's kind of a Johnny Come Lately, but it's really good, right? Yeah, I agree. Okay. I agree. And and look, and and you know, this is I'm my father's son. I don't think that man has ever eaten anything but uh, vanilla ice cream in his life. So yeah, I mean, when all else fails, I'm going vanilla. Right there um, with you. Yeah, and uh, you know, here here's another maybe controversial take not a chocolate ice cream guy okay fair enough Just now not. um so the chocolate ice cream though that's the new england patriots right i mean you know it's good you know that most people are going to consider it good and it has its moments though. but yeah. it also has like a high percentage of people that are totally over it right like, yeah, yeah like the like okay pumpkin cheesecake that's the, that's the bears the bears are pumpkin cheesecake right yeah, it's just not working. It sounded good in theory. It's right. just not working. So who yeah. are okay? So who are the five best teams in the NFL right now? Mm. Good question. Um, well, Miami Dolphins. That's easy. Um, the Eagles. I think you have to put them up there just because they they're figuring out ways to win. I don't think they're in sync yet. But to be honest, one side note: I think they really, really, really miss Shane Steichen. By the way. Okay, so that bodes well if you're a Colts fan, I think. Anyway, uh, Dolphins, Eagles, uh, I mean, I feel like the Chiefs are going to be there, but are they one of the five best right now? I think that's debatable, but I'll just go ahead and put them in there. Um, I'm probably forgetting someone obvious, aren't I? Um, uh, Buffalo? Yeah, I think, I, I guess. Buffalo is tough, you know. Like I, I just think. Oh, San Francisco. San Francisco is who I'm forgetting. God, I knew that. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, Buffalo is arguable. I think the problem with Buffalo, and I know you didn't ask me this, the, the problem with Buffalo is Josh Allen, for as great as he is, I think his his spectrum of results is still pretty wide. You know, like we've seen it already this year. You know, we've seen good Josh Allen, and we've seen bad Josh Allen, and the the difference between one and the other is wow i mean it's it's incredible he's got probably the biggest range of possible outcomes of any quarterback who any like legit good quarterback you know anyway that's those are my thoughts i feel like the jets are pistachio like for some reason it's been around forever and people tell us that it's good but invariably every time you actually try it you realize it truly does suck right yeah like i mean have you ever seen the jets truly uh, good for a sustained period of time in totally. your life. Totally. And, and likewise, I think pistachio is probably decent once, but you try it twice in a week and you're sick of it, right? Right, right. Maybe maybe your grandparents could attest to that, but I, I personally <laughs> Now, Stephen, <laughs> right. here's the thing. So we'll just take Miami, Philly, Kansas City, Buffalo, San Francisco, right? Yeah. If you look historically at the NFL, and this is why I, I say all this, to kind of give people pause a little bit because every year in the NFL and the two that really jump out to me one of them you can certainly relate to the other I was covering but I remember like the and I'm going in the way back admittedly the 01 Rams they started yeah. out and it was like holy cow these guys are going to go six they're going to go 19 to 0 and win every game by 30 points and then after six games, they they had an injury. They they slip a little bit. They lost seven of their last ten games and limped into the playoffs as a wild card. The Bucks, the Bucks coming off the Super Bowl when the Colts went in there on the Monday Night Miracle 
and and broke them. They were they were. It looked like they were going to be the number one seed. Undoubtedly, the Colts go in there and beat them, and, and they were never truly the same again. I feel like, and I want you to tell me if you think I'm off base. Miami, Philly, Kansas City, Buffalo, San Francisco. Of those teams, I feel like the one that has the greatest probability of hitting a hurdle and coming crashing back down to earth is Miami. Your thoughts? Well, I would say... And that's based on injury. I just don't think they have... The, they have players that are truly unique, oh, okay. Stephen, yeah. but they don't have the sustainability of those players. That's fair. I mean, number one, I mean... And I hate to even go here, okay? But their quarterback has some recent injury history. It just it is what it is, right? We we spent the whole off season talking about it, so we can't pretend it's not there. That is what it is. I hope he's I hope he stays healthy the whole year. Uh, I'm a big Tua fan. Now, but that's a that's a real thing. And the other thing I would say is that offense, even though this is still, you know, this is 2023, and we talk about this being a, a different era of football. When you do get late in the season and you do get into those big division games and you get into the playoffs, we start to see why defense matters, right? We, we start to see the teams that can't get stops in the playoffs, they're facing the best offenses, and that those teams tend to sometimes fade. I mean, uh, if you look at, I think, Buffalo, I think that's been their, one of their Achilles heels in the playoffs the last couple of years. Uh, so anyway, the point I'm making is, while I do think Miami has uh, a very formidable defense, uh, they're built on scoring points right now. There's no doubt about that. And and I just think sometimes offense can be a little more fleeting. Defense is a little more predictable. And I think you can look you can look at no further than at the Colts right now. I mean, they won these last two games with Gardner Minshew playing basically seven of the eight quarters, and he was okay in Houston. He was fine. I thought he was just – I thought he was average to a little below average against Baltimore. And I know that sounds mean, but it's just true. They kind of won – and I don't want to say in spite of him, but he certainly didn't win them the game. He just didn't lose the game. I was going to say but, he didn't lose it either, right? I mean, like yes. kind of game manager, right? Right. But you know what they've done? They've played great defense. You know, they didn't. They kind of let up in the second half against Houston, but they hadn't scored enough points by them. The point is, you know, their defense has carried them. So – I just think, you know, while you are figuring things out, you know, Philly is another example. Philly on offense right now, they're not that good. They're not scaring anybody right now. But defensively, I mean, you know, look at this kid, Jalen Carter. I mean, look at the the defensive players they already have. I mean, that is just – I think you're going to get a little bit more predictable results on defense, even though, okay, even though it's it's 2023 and we believe that that offense drives the NFL – that's just my opinion. Defense is just a little more, you know, predictable. I feel like Tennessee is chocolate chip. Like it's been around uh, forever. It, it, it's it's kind of a staple, but every time you have it, it truly kind of underwhelms, right? Yeah. And, and is it melting? Just, is Tennessee melting? Maybe you just described Ryan Tannehill, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, By the way, uh, I didn't watch them this weekend, but – I think I've I've seen enough and know enough to know it's over and and yeah. they will have a different starting quarterback probably before long here. Is Jacksonville? Did we learn more hmm. Sunday, Stephen, about Jacksonville or Houston in that game? So I think Jacksonville is like frozen yogurt. It's kind of like they tell you it's good, but you're not. 
really sold. <laughs> I don't know if that analogy really works. No, it does. Like you don't, you, you're not certain. It's kind of like the real thing, but you're still not sure that it's the real thing type deal. And look, I'm not taking a victory lap here. I thought they would win. Do, the do you know, Steve? Let me just like tell you this. Do you realize yeah. how much it warms my heart to have you not only going along with my analogy, but then further using it for your own explanation? <laughs> do you realize <laughs> the kind of camaraderie Active that we have based on this? Yes. I'm making a monster here, aren't I? That's what it's happening. Yes, that's, that's right. What I'm Thanks. I'm creating a monster. Uh, so, listen, I would say this about Jacksonville. Look, I, I picked them to win the division, which was you know not like going out on a limb or anything. But I would say this, and I'm not taking a victory lap. I think this was kind of obvious, frankly. I always had a caveat, like, hey, I like them, but they haven't done it for any length of time. Frankly, at the start of last season, we still weren't quite sure. I mean, they came in here to Indianapolis and lost, you know, a game that they probably should not have lost last season. That was a bad Colts team. And so it was really, really the second half of last season and then obviously the big playoff win uh, that we saw. And, and I think we want to believe, all right, hey, Jacksonville's good now. Well, I mean, are they? Is, is that enough? I don't know. I think you have to ask yourself. I do think that Trevor Lawrence – is the real deal or can be. Uh, but again, the same with him, right? I mean, he hasn't done it for any sustained period of time either. So that's what it is. It, look, it said this about college football the other day too. It's kind of like you look around the country and I have no idea who's good. <laughs> you know, I mean, Georgia, I guess is good, you know, but like who's good. I don't know. And we don't know yet too much has to happen. And I think sometimes we, we convince ourselves of things early in football seasons and we, we of the things we want to believe, and then we quickly realize that maybe we were wrong about some things. Really what we should do is let it play out a little more. I think that's where we are in the NFL right now. ESPN.com, Stephen Holder with us on Query & Company. Stephen, what should Colts fans be monitoring and looking for in terms of air markers or indication to how Anthony Richardson is trending this week? Well, certainly he's got to practice tomorrow. I mean, if he does practice tomorrow, that's a great sign. I think as long as there's no setback in the in the protocol, and meaning not even setback, just as long as he's he's taking steps forward in the, in the protocol, he's got to practice to to make it to the next step of that protocol. But look, what, this is not a prediction. But all we can do is just read the tea leaves and and indicators. And a couple things tell me that that he's on the right track and, and I fully expect that he'll play is, number one, even early last week, I'm talking about, I believe, a week ago today, Tuesday, the player's day off, Anthony Richardson was at the facility working on the game plan for Baltimore. <laughs> I mean, it's a day off and he was in there. So obviously they kept him out, but I don't know if the decision hadn't been made at that point, or, or I have no idea. The point is, he was there. Uh, not at home, under the covers, in a dark room, for what that's worth, right? I am not a neurologist, but I'm just telling you what I know. The other thing I would say is that he he traveled with the team this week. I mean, I know that players who have suffered uh, certainly, um, you know, severe concussions in the past, one of the things that they have tried to avoid doing is putting them on an airplane. You know, so I don't know. I, I just know that those are small things that you can look at that in no way suggest you should assume anything, but they're certainly all positive indicators that, that he's doing well. So we'll see what happens. I, I feel pretty good about it, though. I'm going to ask you this again. 
maybe midpoint of the season, maybe towards the end of the season. But three weeks in, outside of Anthony Richardson, is the retention of Gus Bradley the best thing that happened to the Colts this offseason? I guess take Shane Steichen out, too. Take Steichen and Richardson off the board. Yeah. Is Gus Bradley the front runner for that? Uh, look, I got to tell you, I think they're. I thought they were good on defense. I think they might be better than good, potentially. We'll see. I, I think they have a chance to be. They still have a couple of pieces. I'm not answering the question, but uh, <laughs> I, I think, yeah, I think because you know what? When you really think about it, they didn't make a lot of moves, and and it was interesting. I remember going through the the coaching search. They hadn't really made any decisions about their defensive staff, and it was kind of strange. We weren't seeing their defensive coaches interviewing other places for for open positions. And and we quickly learned that uh, there was some thought that they, that maybe they would keep the defensive staff, and that's always like a risky thing to do. You know, you always worry: is that going to work? Is the new coach going to be receptive to that? Uh, you know, are there going to be philosophical differences, et cetera, et cetera? And I would say that that it has worked out. The other thing I would say uh, for uh, Gus Bradley in his favor is he has adapted; he has evolved. And there's there's some stats floating around Twitter today that you can find, and you can just watch the games and see this for yourself. They have been much more aggressive on defense this year. They are blitzing the quarterback at a rate that he has never done in his entire coaching career. That's never been a staple of Gus Bradley. He's always been one of the the coaches, or one of he's always had one of the the, the, the defenses that have had the lowest blitz rates in the NFL. And they have gotten like super aggressive the last couple of weeks. I actually happen to love it. And I think that you have to mix things up in today's NFL. Doesn't mean you can just go crazy with it, but I think when when it makes sense, go after people, you know, and, and they definitely threw some wrenches at at Lamar Jackson that I don't think he anticipated and I'm thinking that had a lot to do with the way Lamar Jackson played on Sunday, which wasn't very good. In that game, Stephen, when you know when a game like that is that close, goes into overtime, obviously, for a young coach, that's a lot. Shane Steichen, how much did he grow up on Sunday, or were there were there times that if you were to critique a rookie performance from a head coach, that he illuminated that, or did he in fact push all the right buttons? Obviously, they won, so he did. But you get what I'm saying. No, I, I get it. Um, no, I, I think he, I think he largely got it right. And I think the the big takeaway, or, or one of the one of the big takeaways from a win like that, is that you you gain more belief from your players. Now he clearly has has these guys' attention, and and until things go poorly, you you tend to keep it. You know that's what that's how coaching works. You know it's like your message works until it doesn't. <laughs> but for right now. The message is getting through, and when you have a win like that, it only emboldens you more. You can point to now. You can now point to the scoreboard and say, "Guys, you see, you bought in, and look what happened." It really is empowering for a coach, you know, for those things to happen. So it only helps him uh, to kind of further his message. And and the one thing I would say that he has done a good job of, and he gets a lot of credit for this. Uh, he is a big detail guy. That is what everyone says about Shane Sykin. And if you, you watch practice, uh, they they work on things endlessly like ball security and and raking at the football from a defensive perspective. And those are the things that kind of won the game for them. I mean, look at um, 
Look at the the turnovers they forced. They didn't turn the ball over. Um, you know, they went and got that loose ball when Minshew got sacked from the blind side in in their own territory. Quentin Nelson, if you haven't seen that play, go to my Twitter. I've got the video of it. Quentin Nelson scrambling and run, running like a four six forty to go get the ball away from this defender and knock it out when it's going to be a possible scoop and score. I mean. That's that's good stuff, man. That's that's those hustle plays, and that's a team that I think is is really bought in and, and learning how to win. At Holder Stephen, by the way, on Twitter, ESPN.com, where you can read Stephen Holder. My last question, Stephen, is this: uh, I I don't know that you would know this answer, or that any of us will, but I'll ask your opinion on it because a couple of people asked me. It's a good question. Rams played yesterday, last night in Cincinnati. They play in Indianapolis coming up on Sunday. Obviously, you know it's not like they're all immediately buying the early bird to check into Southwest Airlines and get in the A-line, right? They do travel a little bit differently than does the normal person. But is there any chance that the Rams actually stay in the Midwest instead of traveling all the way back to the West Coast and then back again? I'm glad you asked that because I actually meant to check on that last night and I totally forgot. I'm actually going to look into that because I thought about it too. I was like, wait a minute, they can't possibly be going home, right? I mean, I guess they could. You know, it's not like you're not quite flying coast to coast. And so I guess that takes a little bit of the sting out of it. But, I mean, a Monday night game, I mean, you're getting back, you know, literally Tuesday morning. Steven, Steven, listen, I'm 51 years old, right? Yeah. I'm gray in the – now, and I will say, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I look really good for 51. Like, I'm – I pretty much am (laughs) – I'm I'm putting the sexy in 51, but that said, if I can, I thought you were about to like read an ad for like you know men's <laughs> vitamins or something. But go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I'm with trust you. me, I take a, a full dose of cardiac vitamins every morning. If, if I can fly to Portland, do an IndyCar race, fly back yeah. on a red eye, land on Monday, do a radio show, fly back on Friday, do a race in Monterey, fly back on a red eye, land, do a show on Monday, then the Rams can stick it out and play a football game, right? Yeah, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. They'll get today off, so they'll sleep all day, and then you just kind of round them up tomorrow and say, all right, guys, wake up. Let's get to work. So I that, mean, admittedly, I'd probably rather be hanging out in Los Angeles than Batesville, right? Right, and honestly, yes. <laughs> is that the halfway point? Kind that of? is, yeah. yeah. You could stop by the yeah. Batesville Casket Company if you'd like. I believe there's still a steak and shake there as well. I mean, there there might even be a Kroger. So, I mean, you know, it's you got everything you <laughs> the want. The rest of the steak um, and shakes actually are in Batesville Caskets, but that one actually is open in Batesville, I believe. Okay. They're good Good to know. So, I think I'm with you. I do I do agree. And, you know, you can be in the, the comfort of your facility and all that stuff. Otherwise, you know, you're, you're having to find somewhere to practice and you know, all those little comforts of home that you lose. So I, I'm with you. I'm sort of players who prefer to just go home. They probably did. I will check on that, though. That's a good question, and I was curious myself. Um, look, I mean, they're, they're now talking about having regular season games in Brazil and Spain and further doing further international expansion. So ultimately, you know, these guys are going to have to get used to it and maybe kind of grin and bear like NBA players do, I guess. He's the mint chocolate chip of our weekly guest, Stephen Holder, ESPN.com. Stephen, appreciate it what as always. We'll let, what's that? I don't know. Never mind. I said, I don't know if that's good or bad, but go ahead. <laughs> it's good. It's the, it's the top flavored ice cream. That's what I'm saying, right? right? Awesome. I mean, I could have given you triple mango. Would you rather be that? No, I'm good. I'm good. It's horrific, right? <laughs> Stephen, appreciate it. Have a good week, man. See you guys. All right, Stephen Holder joining us. I- I'm looking right here at some of the other ice cream flavors. Uh, can we, uh, all three of us guys, we're going to agree. Triple mango, that's Bears or Broncos, right? Yeah. 
Would you agree definitely, with that, Eddie? Definitely. Okay. Uh, then there's another one, for example, like the birthday cake flavor. Are you on Baskin-Robbins' website right now? Yeah, that was there yeah, earlier. Yeah, we were talking. Yeah. Okay, all right. So make sure. The birthday cake flavor, I feel like. Okay, lemon sorbet. That would be also bears a, like if yeah. you got a double if you got a double dip of lemon sorbet and triple mango. That is the the Bears Broncos game that's taking place coming up. If right? you have lemon that's sorbet, saying I'm on a diet, but not actually on a diet. <laughs> if you have <laughs> lemon right. sorbet and it didn't come from like an Italian ice truck, then you need to reevaluate your ice cream. Choices. How about daiquiri ice? Feels like the same category. What what's the uh, what's the ice cream in, that you have to get in Italy? Like what's it called in Italy? Italian ice, not Italian ice. But <laughs> that's, they, how, they that's, were, how it's, that's how it's that's no, how it's commercialized. I, it. they, they I understand a, that was stupid. Get the name. No 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 no. That's not a dumb. <laughs> oh gelato. Gelato. Thank you. Redemption. Uh, I got uh, apparently I was, <laughs> when I was in Florence, Italy, we went to go get gelato and like the, the this like tour guide lady's like they're all fake. There's only one gelato place to go. And I'm like, is she getting a kickback on this or something? Like, how do you make, how do she you also, fake gelato? She also right? has a spot in Philadelphia for cheesesteaks. That's thing. right. That's exactly Same right. You got to go to the one, the one place. The, uh, under the overpass. That's right. Um, somebody asked me this question about, speaking of delicacies in Indianapolis, I've got a good question for you next. And it doesn't involve shrimp cocktail sauce. We'll do it next. Thanks again to Stephen Holder for his time. ESPN.com where you can read his work. Uh, on... Sunday, Kyle Konezovich, our co-worker, is the president, and, and I'm going to forget the name of the organization, so I apologize because it's a, it's a long title, um, but Kyle oversees the an organization that, you know, I think most people are familiar with Network Indiana, right? Network Indiana, of course, we hear Bob Lovell's show, for Indiana example, Sports on, Talk, this, yeah. on this radio station on Indiana Sports Talk. So the the association of radio of statewide radio networks um, had their annual convention slash get together slash meeting here in Indianapolis. It got underway on Sunday. I believe most of those folks are still here. Folks from West Virginia, Kansas, from the equivalent of the Indiana uh, Network Indiana for each respective state. So I went and spoke to some of those folks on Sunday to welcome them to Indianapolis. It was my pleasure and honor to do so. And then afterwards, they had a little happy hour type deal uh, over at the Hyatt Place right across from Gamebridge. And by the way, that right outside of Gamebridge Fieldhouse, the pavilion there now, fabulous. That's the first time I'd seen it. Guys were playing pickup basketball out there. I mean, it's it really is. I've not been able to see it yet. It's beautiful. It's great. I hope it, I hope it maintains... Uh, it's pristine state that it's in right now. But as we were eating some of the food, I was talking to a guy from, he was from Pennsylvania. Pencil, actually, his name tag said Pennsylvania slash Maryland. So I said, oh, you must be Mason Dixon, which I think most people think the Mason Dixon line separates like Georgia and, and Tennessee or Tennessee and Kentucky. It actually separates Pennsylvania, Maryland. But as we were getting food, he said, yeah, you know, the, obviously in in Maryland, we're known for our crab cakes. But if you go up into Pennsylvania and you go obviously over towards Philly, it's cheesesteaks. And I said, oh, yeah, for sure. And we're getting our food. And he said, well, what's the what's the the dish that Indiana's most known for? I'm like, you know, that's a great question. The obvious answer, the obvious answer is the shrimp cocktail sauce at St. Elmo. Right. Yes. 
but that's not a statewide thing. The only thing I could think, like if you were going to have, if you were going to have people in from all over the country, and you've got to you've got to serve a dish that is kind of that is. Do you want me to undercut it? Or do you want me to tell you what the right answer to is? Indiana, I, there's only one thing I could think of that that's, that that they would say. Now, what is this exactly? And you're like, well, we we eat it here. It's popular here statewide but you may not get you might know of it other places but i don't know that they serve it as much what would you say it's bread and tenderloin i think that's probably it right yes because when i went to st louis when i moved to st louis i'll never forget two things number one ted drews which is the popular frozen custard in st louis and it's good but my first day there, they, they they actually made like a big presentation with everybody there and brought me out of Ted Drew's and then everyone stood around, stood around. Literally, it was like I was the the main lion eating, you know, the poor small elk or whatever the, the eat, antelope. And they were all the jackals, like sitting around watching, like waiting for me to finish. Like, like, what do you think? What do you think? And so I took a bite of it and like, what do you think? What do you think? And I go, it's good. What do you mean it's good? Did I mean, they turn on you? I'm like, it, it's good. I mean, it's, I go, it's like a blizzard. Well, I might as well have like, I mean, it was like the worst thing. I might as well have said like, go Cubs, right? It's um, like having a tenderloin here. Or, give, I you the, or like, give you my reaction to eating the shrimp chips. It's yeah, like, exactly. I bring Eddie yeah. the shrimp chips and he's like, yeah, they're fine. These aren't even that good. It's and like a tenderloin here and saying, I could have gotten that at Sonic. It'll go over well. Right. Sure. Right. But the other thing though that I found interesting when I was in St. Louis is they gave me toasted raviolis. I like toasted raviolis. And they're like, oh yeah, T-Ravs. They're known worldwide for as a St. Louis food. And I'm like, they are? T-Ravs didn't know that. That's that's Exactly. Weird. And so I said to them, I go, I don't I don't think that's really true. Like I am I in St. Louis, you might think that, but and they're like, no, no, no. No, anybody outside St. Louis knows T-Ravs are from St. Louis. And I'm like, yeah, I don't I don't think that's right. No, 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 that's right. And I'm like, well, there's 10 of us in this room, and I'm the only one who's ever lived outside of St. Louis, <laughs> and I'm telling you that I didn't know that. I've always thought of, really for all of Missouri, Kansas City, St. Louis, I think of barbecue. Well, Kansas City. Ribs for, ribs for yeah, St. Louis. St. Louis. Ribs for St. Louis. You're right. Ribs for You're St. Right. Louis. But Kansas um, City, definitely. Yeah. Emo's Pizza is a unique kind of pizza in St. Louis that they love. I, I thought it was pretty good. It has a different kind of cheese to it. I thought it was pretty good. A lot of people don't like it. Um, There's a lot of places I feel like make up what their style of pizza is. Yeah. Somebody said to me, like, Detroit pizza. Like, well, Detroit pizza. I'm like, wait, what? Right. All I know from Detroit pizza is Little Caesars pizza pizza. That's the only thing I know about Detroit pizza. I could be mixing up pizza styles, but when I learned about Detroit pizza, it's basically instead of sauce properly distributed across the pie, it's just clumped in like random areas. Is and that it's what like it a, is? And it's a square style pizza, okay. I think. Could be there. Are people in Detroit they didn't call in and get very mad at me. Are wide obviously Chicago style. You go there, you got to have like Chicago and New York now in Indy, which is great. Chicago and New York in terms of cities applying their name. I think the only two that I really recognize is true styles. When of you pizza. get a New York style pizza, do you fold it? Yes. Oh yeah, of course I right. do. Eddie, nope. I'm not a folder. <laughs> My brother's listening. He's gonna be very mad because he doesn't like the fold style. But I, I do fold. Yeah. Eddie's not a folder. Another fun fact that we've learned in the yeah. program, right? Yeah. Somebody Eddie's just chips said, all in. He doesn't name, fold. In the morning, in the morning show, you know, uh, our motto was educate and entertain. Now, now, can I steal that from them and say that on this program we edu- we aim to educate and entertain? If you'd like to. Somebody already mentioned to me. They said, uh, not only do you educate and entertain, but also tolerate Jake's ridiculous stories. Okay, I can live with that, right? It's a W. <laughs> I mean, we take what it's we a can W get, from right? the T Rav is what it is. 
I just, I, I think to your point. Now, here's the other question: If you were going to do the breaded tenderloin, you would get it from where? I always forget. The, in? I always forget the name. Bug and bun. Probably both those. Yes, there's a spot on Madison Avenue, and I can't remember the name yeah. of the place, but it's an older building. Like it looks older anyway, and that's where we would always go. Like they have a delicious tenderloin, and I can't remember the name of the place for the life of me. I can't tell you. I hate to say this. I can't tell you the last time I had a tenderloin. In high school, they used to serve them and call them chuck wagons, which I think was like a mystery meat. And they just came up. With, they didn't want to say tenderloin because they couldn't prove it was pork. I think that's probably right. <laughs> right. Uh, hey, Jake. Domino's headquarters is in in Ann Arbor, Michigan. That's not Detroit pizza, though, right? I don't think so. I only know this. Here's that's my Ann Arbor pizza. What? Yeah, that's right. I think it's Madison Grill is what I'm thinking of, or Madison's. Domino's Pizza, when R.A. Leindyke won the Indianapolis 500 in 1990, was car number 30 because at that time their big marketing campaign was it was always delivered in 30 minutes or less. See, that's the educate part of this show. The entertain, we're still working on work in progress. I think we have our answer, and I think that we are confirmed as geniuses. I'll tell you why. My buddy Neil Brown said pork tenderloin or sugar cream pie. Now, Neil Brown, you want to talk about food visionaries and the best that you can find in the state of Indiana in terms of chefs and being able. Neil Brown was like the professor in Gilligan's Island. You know, that guy could turn, you know, the old joke, like, you know, he could turn two coconuts into anything but a radio, but he can't, or into a radio, but he can't fix a boat, yada, yada, yada. But Neil Brown could literally take two coconuts, turn them into anything, right? He could take your old wristwatch, turn it into a fine delicacy. So if Neil Brown is saying that it's the breaded tenderloin and sugar cream pie, then uh, Jimmy, that means that you gave indeed the correct answer. Yeah. Madison's Cafe was the place I was thinking of on Madison Avenue. I don't know if they've changed ownership so much after COVID. I have no idea, but it's been 10 years since I've been there, but I always liked their tenderloin. Uh, And currently, my clubhouse winner, Fire by the Monon, delicious tenderloin. That's a great place. And if you get it to go, the tenderloin barely fits in a medium-sized pizza box. It's glorious. Nothing will make you feel more like a king than getting a breaded tenderloin from Fire by the Monon. Now, somebody... I love shallows for what it's worth. Mm, It's a good one, too. Shallows? Shallows, yeah. And Greenwood? I really haven't gotten into the depth of their menu. <laughs> Thank you. That's where we need the <laughs> Joel A. Erickson laugh or booze. Yeah, do we one have the, the Joel A. Erickson one, laugh? One of the no. two. Can, you do, can you play that laugh, please? I got to find it. Hold on. It needs to be a hot key. You need to have these as, as big keys right there in front of us, right? I know I need to. That's not worth it anyway. The breaking news bad. sounder and the well, then you Joel have a, a Erickson laugh. Yeah, I accidentally saved over the breaking news sounder. That was my fault. And but you saved that. That was fun though with with our director of giddiness, right? Yeah. Now see, I was I was wondering about this. I thought about this yesterday. If we were to occasionally have a caller that calls in who's been assigned as a as an employee of the company, because I want this show. Everybody should feel like this show is their show, right? Yes. Now, it ain't my show. Certainly, and, and it's as much your guys' show, but also the company, which is all of the people listening. Correct. So we have we have Paul. Now, do we have Eddie, the the sounder from yesterday, from Paul? Can, can we play again, Paul, the director of get? Yesterday, Paul called in. He's always in a good mood. I said that he's the director of getting this for the company, and we had him about 24 hours ago right now record this for us right here. here hey, it's Paul. I'm the director of getting this, and you're feeling giddy on Aquarian Company on the fan. Yeah, see, perfect, right? Now, what I, th- what I started thinking about is, 
occasionally, not all the time, not all the time, but occasionally if people call in that are regular callers that have had, a, they've been assigned a, a division of the company, we have them do exactly that. And then periodically we play it coming out of a break or whatnot. I think it's and a good I thought, reward. I thought, exactly. And it's a thank you to these people. And then I thought to myself, am I getting in trouble because I'm now officially putting people in a working capacity and they're going to want to start, uh, they're going to, you know, want money. And, and, and we're a volunteer so I, not-for-profit i'm sorry so i have to make the claim that is correct jimmy i need to make the on-air claim right now that if you call into this show and we utilize your voice as part of the company that that is on a voluntary standard and you are under the understanding that there is no compensation correct that right? sign that I, says you're walking listen, into where a movie's being filmed and you're giving up your rights that's what's happening here i know people don't realize this i don't even get paid here right so right, like right if i'm not getting paid then certainly we, we can't have other people and you paid, did right? ask paul for his permission before oh, Paul, you, you, well, he's you put the, it up there on a platter. He's the director of giddiness. He so was giddy and ready to saying. go. Exactly. The Edinburgh Diner, by the way, makes a huge breaded tenderloin. Edinburgh Diner. Really? I've not been there. I've not been there. Okay. That's down by the outlets, though, right? I would hope so. Oh, what's the Ivanhoe's? And, um, oh, that's up in Upland, right? Yes. Taylor Basketball Camp. Yes. I went to, you know, I was actually first team all camp, 1984, Taylor Basketball nice. Camp. Nice. You, you got that resume. on a plaque or on your fridge still? It's on my resume. Okay. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> That's right. When when I was at Taylor basketball camp, I went there, and I, and I have said this before. It was a wonderful, and I think they still do it. Taylor University did a basketball camp when I was a kid, and it was an overnight camp in the summertime. You stay in the dorms, and we went after my. I think I went after fourth grade, fifth grade, and then maybe sixth grade, two or three years. Um, in 1983 when I was there because the, the players on the team are the counselors they woke us up every morning to Madness's Our House full blast which was wonderful loved it um, but it was such a good camp for kids because we had fun we played basketball we stayed in the dorms and most notably and most importantly um, they just had really good lessons for all the kids uh, JV's walked in and is messing with our cameras now you got on the Rax shirt there I thought it was a Mr. Pibb shirt for a second uh. Similar like colors, Rax? right? You like Rax? Oh, Don't yeah, you? Rax is good, yeah. Still around. I'm telling you, if somebody has deep pockets. We're talking about it, RAX, right? Yeah. Not Rax <laughs> in your midsection there. Are you a tenderloin guy? Uh, I would. Do you have I a favorite would, but spot? The, uh, the uh, bacon and beef and cheese is what they call the BBC. Now, I think internet stuff is like <laughs> different than that. Excuse me? Right. Yes. Yeah, see? I'm, see I, I, didn't, I wasn't privy to what that meant. But no, bacon, beef, the British Broadcast and Corporation. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. no, I, I ba- love, no, that's the, what it's I called. The, it's the, the bacon, beef, and cheddar mm-hmm, from yeah. racks okay. is famous. And if, I said, if, if somebody had deep pockets, either of those two when googling it, you're in danger. Yeah. Oh, I did it already. On, Don't do it. At work. I did it in social media, and I just got <laughs> rail for it. And I said, no, okay, this is what go. I'm talking now, about. Now we're going there too, right? But um, yeah, but if somebody had deep pockets around here to reestablish a racks location in Central Indiana, you're going to make money. Now racks also had John, if I'm not mistaken, um, salad bar. Correct, just no like the guards, just like too. the Wendy's, right? Yeah. Like with the so the, the you could tell when you go past an old racks, mm-hmm. you can tell that's what it is because it has like the garden thing right. out front, right? Yeah, like a greenhouse, a thing, greenhouse. Right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Right yeah. Now, so there is one left, and you said in Anderson, right? It is not in Anderson any longer. I think they are they're in Ohio right now. I know our friend Jim Romanak and his lovely wife Sarah will go to West Virginia and come back, go through Ohio and bring back Oh, you know what? Some racks for me. So I'm doing a road trip with my buddy Byron that we do every yep. year. Um in 
in about three weeks, and I think we're going to come back possibly through that area. So yeah. I could I could probably bring you back. A I sack think you of should. I think I had he brought back maybe five, and I ate for a week. <laughs> okay. When do these go bad? Never. Hey, by the way, we're approaching fifty-five. You better have your ass off the air by fifty-five. Well, we got two and a half minutes. To fill. That's why I was You're glad you walked in because I we'd run out of stuff to talk about. Right? <laughs> we were talking about tenderloins. If that yeah. tells you anything. Yeah. Right? What do you have lined up for the big program coming up uh, here? PFF Nerd's going to come on here and tell us about a bunch of numbers. Um, have you heard that guy? Do you, do you refer to him as that when he comes uh, on? I have before. I think that's one of the reasons why this is like the fourth guy I've had on from PFF. <laughs> that's pro <laughs> so, football yeah, focus, right? Yeah, pro football focus, yeah. So does he tell you things like, you know, Anthony Richardson uh, in game one had a 17.51 well, RLL drop, and you're like, what? I, I had uh, hey, help me out here, Eddie. Who was the one? Is it Sam? He's what's Sam Monson. From Ireland. Sam Monson. I I thought he was from Minnesota. Sam, no, the other guy was oh, from Minnesota. I, Sam Monson was from Ireland. Uh, and I used to come on all the time and talk about you two, and I don't think he was digging that either. So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> he, he actually he used to, he does also a segment on the BBC. He does. Yeah, he yeah, does yeah. So no, no. This is like the fourth guy, Brad Spielberger. Brad Spielberger. That's, that's his the, name. That's, that's his the, name. Okay. He's from Brooklyn. Do you ask him a bunch he of ET good questions while you're exactly, at it? Yeah, I ask him a bunch of. Uh, what uh, Indiana Jones, Raiders of the <laughs> Lost Ark right. questions, yeah, all the time. What was Spielberg's first movie? It was, uh, it was Duel, made, right? Correct. With, uh, nice. Yeah, Duel? made for TV, right? Yeah, it was. That movie was had like Dennis Weaver. I think it only has one line in the whole thing. Does it not? When he's in the cafe. He just all, I mean, it's just all intense the entire time oh, with that 18 wheeler trying to run him down thing, the desert. That, that show is awesome. It's Dennis Weaver was in that. Dennis Weaver also, once upon a time, the co star on what multi decade generational Western on CBS? Gunsmoke. Correct Mundo. Wow, look at. Uh huh. I believe, look he, at the I believe big he played the Jimmy. role as Chester. Chester in Gunsmoke. Impressive. Yeah. You know, the other day I was watching. Um, Oh, help me! Who, who's the one that was on uh, Bonanza? The main, the main. Lauren Green. Uh, Lauren Green sold Alpo. Lauren, Lauren Green was on Johnny Carson the other day on a rerun, obviously, and I'm watching it. Was he like 45 years old? Both of them look 90. I looked up; they're 42. I'm glad you brought that they're up. Both, they're both smoking a, a carton of Kent cigarettes a day. I'm 53. Somebody sent me a picture of Norman Fell, Mr. Roper. Oh, I know. At 53, it's crazy. and I go, "My God, he looks it's, 90." It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. All right. So, All right, pro guys. football focus with the 53 year old. John is up yes, next. Yes, I'm going to give. So. I got a, a concert announcement to make too. Somebody's going to be able to win some some tickets that people will think would be cool. Speaking of tickets, we have tickets to give away right now. Eddie, correct? Yeah. yeah. To uh, the Mecham auctions. Mecham auctions. It's a four pack. Fifth through the seventh of October, I believe. Right. Mm-hmm. Are these All guys right. talking junk about me right there? Probably. It's a mix. It says JV sucks. Son of a. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, John's up next. Mecham auction tickets. Two three nine ten seventy. We'll talk to you tomorrow.